Welcome to Two-Tone Uncensored, the best damn Tennessee Titans podcast out there. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. We have a very big and really good show for you today, along with two excellent hosts. First of all, coming back again this week, uh, Tennessee Titans writer uh, and big-time fan, Cody Milholland. How you doing, Cody? Hey, man, I'm doing great. This is two weeks in a row, so let's see if we can keep it going. Absolutely, and another name you probably all are familiar with if you listen to the show, great friend of the show, big Titans fan, and does a lot of side work with the show, and that's Tyler Mustin. How you doing, Tyler? Actually a little depressed. The NFL season is officially over. The only thing we have to look forward to now is free agency in the draft, and then we're basically in a lull for you know the foreseeable future until next fall, so... But next best thing is to talk some Titans. Absolutely the case. And it is, it does hit you. It hit me today. It's like, man, it's over. It's, it's a long ride to get to the NFL draft. And it's, you know, you get, get excited. I know you guys are big draft guys as well. You get excited and you get all prepared. And then it's the draft and then another long stretch where really that stretch, there's nothing but baseball on sports wise. And you just started to get into into the camps and stuff like that, and then finally football starts again. But we have a long road until then, and definitely not looking forward to that. <laughs> but tonight on the show, we're going to get into, first, uh, before we get in, we have a lot of free agency stuff we want to talk about. We alluded to it last week when me and Cody were on that this week we'd get into free agency, start looking at players from other teams that we really like and think the Titans should target. But before we get there, we're a couple things we want to cover. First off, no new coaching hires since the last show, so if you want to get caught up with the coaching hires, you can go listen to last week's show, or go to www.ttupodcast.com, and right up at the top in the menu bar, you will find the coach tracker. I've been updating it every day. Uh, anytime we get a new coach hired, I'll throw them up there. So if you want to stay updated, check that You know, once a day or once every every other day. Try to stay up and and figure out who we have and who we don't have. Uh, of course, all of those are linked um, to give you more information on each coach. But we went in depth last week on the coaches, but Tyler wasn't here with us. And for those of you who don't know, Tyler is, not along with being a diehard Tennessee Titans fan, is also a huge Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So obviously the connection with him and Kerry Coombs is something that we wanted to talk about Tyler, we were talking last week about how much we like this hire. Me and Cody said, both said it might be our favorite hire out of all the coaches that we got um, because of the, his prestige and, and what he's been able to do at Ohio State and really has been defensive back university. Are we right to be that excited? Just how good is Kerry Coombs and how excited were you when you heard this? I was extremely excited. Um, I was probably as excited as I was when found out Mike Vrabel was the head coach. Um, watching Ohio State football really closely over the last, you know, over the course of my life, I've watched a lot of Ohio State football, but I've watched even more in the time that Kerry Coombs was the DB coach. And, he coached from 2011, no, 2012 to 2017. Um, and during that time, he's produced multiple first rounders. You know, you've had, uh, Brad Roby, you've had Marshawn Lattimore, Gary Unconley, um, 
who was the Eli Apple was the other one. Uh, Lattimore actually won Defensive Rookie of the Year, and if you remember, he was the one that I was pushing for us to draft, you know, really hard for last year. But um, it just goes to show that you know he doesn't have a lull in his improvement, like from year to year. His his cornerbacks are constantly improving, and Ohio State they're definitely you know even if they are going to be missing him they're they're better for because they're competing with Florida State for the DBU title and you know if if you're able to produce you know first round draft pick after first round draft pick after first round draft pick you're doing something right and sky's the limit for a guy that can do that in the NFL Especially exciting with a guy that has this track record of being so good at getting young cornerbacks to really see their potential and, and get them to really sometimes even you know go beyond what a lot of people think their potential is. That's also exciting when you think about how young this um, secondary is for us. Our cornerbacks, if you know, Adoree Jackson just got out of his rookie year. LaShawn Sims is going to be heading into his third year. Uh, Logan Ryan even is only 26 years old. There's a lot of guys uh, that we have that are really young. So a guy that has that much success coaching young corners coming into a group that has a lot, I mean, it seems like a perfect fit. Yeah, Um, and also Coombs, um, you know, with all the first-round draft picks that he's accumulated, um, he also has another one coming this year who – you know, as as little as we may say, cornerback's not an extremely pressing need anymore, which we'll probably get into later on in the show, and, you know, you guys will cover it later on down the line. But Denzel Ward is an, an extreme option. You know, he's going to be another first-round draft pick, which is just continuing that trend of good cornerbacks that Kerry Coombs has under his belt. You know, if he can take average players and get the best out of them, you know, you're basically turning average players into first-round picks, just like that. You're absolutely right, and definitely a guy that's been on my board for a while. Just got what done watching tape on him, uh, I believe, last week, and Ward is going to be a for-sure first-rounder and is a hell of a talent. Uh, unbelievably, unbelievably fast and athleticism out, you know, out the ass. The dude's just unbelievably good. Beyond Kerry Coombs, the entire coaching staff we've put together so far, Tyler. You know, me and uh, me and Cody talked about it at length last week. But what do you feel as a whole? How good do you think the Titans did at hiring all these coaches? I think they came out and basically said to the point that we're not going to settle for second best anymore. Um, you know, they obviously didn't go after Josh McDaniels. And the reason for that, I think the biggest reason for that would be John Robinson wanted to get a head start on the next step of the rebuilding process. It's not necessarily a rebuilding process, just improving the roster process, which means he wanted his guy, which I feel was Rabel from the start, he wanted his guy with him at the senior bowl, you know, picking each other's minds, talking about players, you know, 
whether they're looking at edge guys, cornerback, they're looking at everybody there. They're looking at quarterbacks. They even interviewed Josh Allen, with you know, which is crazy. And uh, I think overall, they, they like I said, they said we're not settling for second best. We're not settling for mediocrity. There will be no more excuses. You know, we will continue the locker room trend that we have built. Um, and it's just moving forward. We are going to perform at a high level. And, we, and we're bringing in these coaches who have a track record of performing at high level and getting the best out of their players. I, there's a couple hires that I talked about last week that I wasn't big on. But overall, I, I feel very confident. And, and you talked about, like, it's not rebuilding. I was thinking about this earlier, and it, it's not a rebuilding. I think it's a reframing is the right word for it. We're still using the same players, uh, you know, a lot of the same players. We're going to add talent to that, but it's getting systems that can be more successful in there, especially on the offensive side of the football. It's getting a system that better fits uh, Marcus Mariota, getting a system that better fits our weapons as a whole, and, you know, getting a system we can be more successful with. I think most of us agree, you know, not just us three talking here, but as Titans fans as a whole, that the coaching uh, and play calling last year held us back, and we still won a playoff game, still finished at 9-7. and seven. This team has the ability to do a lot better than that if they're in the right system. And, you know, I think that we made a lot of hires that's going to make that possible. And, you know, not just with Coombs, but, you know, getting guys like Dean Pease um, and Matt LaFleur, I think, is going to do a fantastic job. But moving on here, guys, out of the coaching. And like I said, no new coaching hires this week as of yet. We're recording on Monday night, so we'll see if something happens and shakes out now that we're getting past the Super Bowl. Uh, But speaking of the Super Bowl last night, I I wanted to bring this up real quick, guys. And I didn't tell you about this because I wanted your raw opinion, your raw take. Last night, the Eagles obviously were able to finally, you know, someone beats the Patriots other than the Giants in a Super Bowl. And obviously, the Eagles finally win a Super Bowl, something that they haven't been able to do in their entire team's history. Now, a lot of people have been talking because there are some guys that used to be in Tennessee uniforms that are now in Eagle uniforms and winning uh, you know, winning the Super Bowl, most notably that comes to mind, obviously, is Chance Warmack. A lot of people are saying we should have kept Warmack, that, you know, we should have we should have kept him around, we should still have him, look at what he did. He's the first guy that I really want to talk about, and the main guy I really want to talk about. Do you feel that we should have kept Warmack? Do you feel like we made a mistake in letting him go? I start off with saying no. I mean, yeah, you look at it now and see what he was able to accomplish, but he's in a whole different system now. He's got all new different coaches now. We spent a top 10 draft pick on the guy, and he was a dud for us. He couldn't protect for us. Um, So looking back at it, he couldn't help us, but good for him. He went on, did his thing, and got him a Super Bowl ring, but he he wasn't any good for us at the time we had him, and that's just the difference in different systems and different coaches, and that just – goes to show you how important having good coaches can be. Yeah, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think Chance Warmack just came in because of an injury. Am I am I right? I believe you are right. Yeah. He came in for an injury. So 
he came in for that. I can't remember the guy's name who who was their left guard, um, but he came in and finished the game for him because he couldn't return. Chance Warmack is a bad offensive lineman who's on a potent offense team with a smart head coach, and he just happened to get a shot because the other dude had something wrong with his leg. Chance Warmack is garbage. He, he That was a wasted draft pick. If you're taking top 15, which I think, what was he, 12, 10, something like that, and if you're taken there, you're expected to be a, a Taylor Lewan. You're expected to be a Jack Conklin. You're expected to be those kind of offensive linemen. You're not a, you're not brought in on a four to five year deal with big money to basically play, you know, carrying around the equipment uh, to practice the practice. That's basically what he did for the Philadelphia Eagles. He is absolutely garbage. Isn't Kenny Britt also on the Philadelphia Eagles? Kenny Britt was no, on the uh, Patriots. Patriots. Yeah, Patriots. Okay. okay. All right. I, I, for some reason, I was thinking he was Eagles. Well, he's on the Patriots, too. He played in the Super Bowl as well. But I'm pretty certain he didn't even get a chance to see the field at all. So, well, One more quick thing. When you look at it, the Eagles system compared to what our system was back when Chance Warmack was with us, the Eagles have a system built. They run a lot of RPOs, of course. Everyone's seen that on the pregame show. It's designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands more quickly. Back when we had him, we had Ken Wisenhunt as our coach, and our system was overly complicated, I guess you could say. Players always had to think and always had to make sure they was checking their X's and O's. and It was causing causing us to hold on to the ball a lot more longer than what we had to, especially with the receivers on the outside with all their job duties, and even Taylor the Ones talked about it, how if they're in this front, we do this. If this guy's here, we do this. And there's like six, seven different things you had to do based on how the defense was just lined up, nothing else from motions and all that other stuff. That's a big part of why Chance Wormack didn't have success, is, is we did have a complicated offense, but he's not a bright guy. He's not a high football IQ guy. He's, he's a guy that you need to put in one-on-one matchups and just let him tear somebody up. He's a road grader, but he's not very bright. Um, and, you know, that's been a problem with him throughout his entire career, not just with Tennessee, but I'm looking at his pro football focus. And by the way, Tyler, it was 10th overall in that draft uh, is where he went. Um, his pro football focus grade for the season is a 48.6. Now, he did have a really good playoffs. He, he had a phenomenal playoffs. He played a really good game in the Super Bowl. But this season, he played like shit. He played like shit for most of the season. He got lifted up because the rest of that offensive line's very good. And they're really good. If we brought Chance Warmack back, he would blow some plays, but he would look for the most part pretty good in most games because we have two bookend tackles. We have a guy in Quentin Spain that's a pretty solid on the left side. We have a guy in Ben Jones that's a, a veteran leader and uh, you know a hell of a center. So when you're surrounded with talent like that, it's easy to look good. I I agree exactly with what Tyler said. No way. I I think we did the exact right move getting away from him. He was too expensive. He wasn't producing. I mean, it's simple as that. There's always going to be that, though, that, oh, he just won a Super Bowl. Did we make a mistake? And 
And, you know, people brought up, bring up the fact that Blunt used to be on the Titans for a little bit. I think a lot of people, you know, may not remember that. And it's some guys blossom because of coaching elsewhere, you know, whether it be their scheme or getting into a, behind a coach that knows how to teach you to get to the next level. And, you know, Tennessee hasn't had a solid coaching structure since Jeff Fisher, really. If you think about not like being consistently good, but just being consistently there. We went. We spent a couple years with Munchak. We spent not even two years with Wesson Hunt. Spent a couple years with Malarkey. You know, we haven't had a consistent um, player personnel to stay there to work with guys to get them to that next level. I think that has a big part in it. While you see guys leave and have success, is because we don't have like these coaches that are staying there working with these guys that know where they're at and know where they need to go. Because when you come in. You have to learn where everybody's at and learn what they need and don't need. That's part of the job. Part of one of the many things you're gonna do. And when you have yeah. bad, when you have bad coaches and coaches, you know, coming in and out, of course guys aren't gonna reach their potential in that kind of system. Now, I feel like this coaching staff, for the most part, outside of you know Matt Lafleur, which we were talking about last week, are gonna be here for a while. Um, you know, I think Dean Pease has said on on record he doesn't want to be a head coach he likes being a defensive coordinator you know obviously Vrabel I think is going to stay a lot of these guys are going to be here for a while and hopefully you know that will kind of eliminate some of these guys leaving and then performing excellent elsewhere Uh, you know Zach Brown didn't play in the Super Bowl but he comes to mind as a guy you know was trash for us he leaves and he reaches his potential but that's a big part is we just don't have good coaches and have it for a while and for good players to become great, you need good coaches. Yeah, and it also falls in the line with uh, ownership and general manager, too, comes along with that because not only did were we screwed down the line because of poorly drafted players like Chance Warmack, like Kenny Britt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Zach Brown, for instance, um, we were screwed over because apparently they thought that they had talent and when they had none, um, the only time they displayed talent was when they had, you know, others around them to inflate them. And, you know, there's a double side to that players that actually had some hidden talent were screwed over. Like you said, by the coaches, a la Zach Brown. You know, he's constantly top of the league tackler, middle linebacker, and we pissed him off, and he didn't want anything to do with us anymore. You know, I've had Twitter Twitter wars with him over it, you know, calling him a sellout and everything, but I understand, you know, he was pissed at our GM, our ownership, and our coaches. And, you know, we basically, we made the correct decisions when J-Rob came in and said, you know, we're not doing this anymore. We're not bringing in mediocre players to play mediocre football. Since the topic is free agency, it kind of makes me wonder that we've got all new ownership now. Well, front office, I guess you could say ownership too, all new coaches. And there's a lot of players that we used to have who were good but did better when they left us. It makes me wonder, even though they left on bad turns, if, if uh, if they would actually come back due to us having all these new people and all the old people going. It's kind of 
do they hate the location now or, or are they all right with it and would be willing to come back since all those people are gone. So that's kind of the thing where you'd, you'd kind of be on the fence about that and it probably depend a lot on the guy's personality. Just out of curiosity, Tyler, you mentioned the Twitter wars. Zach Brown ever block you on Twitter? No, uh, he did not go full Jalen Ramsey on me and block me. <laughs> uh, but I'm pretty sure that uh, I got a whole bunch of likes from just random Titan fans because I was constantly on Zach Brown's case. And I think there was like five tweets back and forth of me calling him a sellout and et cetera, et cetera. But no, he did not go Jalen Ramsey on me, which, by the way, if anybody's wondering, um, I kept tweeting pictures of Derrick Henry and uh, how Derrick Henry is Jalen Ramsey's daddy to Jalen. And Jalen kept getting butthurt, and he ended up blocking me from Twitter. So, just a good thing I don't have to see that little boy anymore. <laughs> Tyler, being your friend has has, uh, has paid off dividends more than once. You do a lot for the show and stuff, but that might have been the best thing that, like, the best reason of why I'm glad I met you was watching that like Jalen <laughs> Ramsey shit because it was perfect. Uh, Tyler was after him like every day um, going after him but uh, moving on now I I think that we we can end this segment by saying we're on agreement that just because he looked good in the playoffs and looked good in the Super Bowl at the time we got rid of him Chance Wormack was wanting too much money wasn't performing and and still is not a good player he's just fit a system he's a little bit better in he's still ranking really low you know pro football focus has him rated really low He's not that he's a good player. He's fit a system that's better for him. He's getting like better coaching than he would have gotten under the system he was in when he left, and it, it just didn't fit what we were doing. And he was he just wasn't productive. So I think all of us are in agreement that it's a good thing we moved on from Mormac. But moving on to the next thing we want to talk about here, and the last thing we're going to bring up before we get to uh, free agency talk is I'm sure a lot of you have seen this, but we want to give a little bit of praise to Robert Brazil, who was uh, an Oilers linebacker in the 70s and 80s, and he got elected to the Hall of Fame. You know, he joins a long list, you know, Warren Moon and uh, Munchak and Bruce Matthews, a ton of guys. And you hear everybody talk about Robert Brazil, and he was before my time. I was talking to you guys before about this. He was before my time. He was a name I was definitely familiar with. So I went on this morning, I got up early and, and watched some tape on him, you know, just watched some of his old games and found some, like, highlights, and holy shit, was this guy a monster. <laughs> just a monster. Everybody, since he's got into the Hall of Fame now, has said, why did it take this long? You know, what took so long? Ten seasons uh, he played in the NFL, never missed a game in ten seasons. That in itself is spectacular. Uh, seven consecutive Pro Bowls out of those seven, or out of those ten seasons, and three times he was All Pro. A fantastic uh, resume, like, um, and a guy that really deserved to be in the Hall of Fame long before he actually got it. But finally, he gets his gold jacket, he gets his bust in the Hall of Fame. Well deserved, and congratulations. Yeah, by far, like like you mentioned, yeah, he's definitely before our time. But you know, it's. What gets me is, and we were actually talking about this before the show, is that some of these guys, 
that are getting in the Hall of Fame, they've retired within five, six, seven years. You know, your LTs, you know, your Ray Lewis's, they're all approaching Hall of Fame. This guy has been, it's been over 30 years, and he's just now getting in. I think you need to take care, unless you're like Tom Brady, you know, you basically shouldn't be a first ballot guy. Um, unless you're an LT, yeah, I could see LT. But if you are 30 years back in the past and you went to a Pro Bowl, what, what was it, seven times in a row and three all-pro levels, um, if you're producing, you deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame before somebody like, uh, who was who a safety uh, that was just inducted. I mean, Brian, was it Brian Dawkins? Did he get yes. in? Yeah, Brian Dawkins got in. Yeah, yeah. Put Brazil in before Brian Dawkins, you know, is even mentioned. That's what I have an issue about the Hall of Fame induction is you're addressing these modern players that you know first, but you're forgetting guys in the past that have performed well as well. I think some of that could be attributed to today's technology, you know, all these TV channels we got and ESPN and all the different apps and radio stations that they didn't have back in the past. But the way I look at it, it's a guy, I did. I knew his name, but I didn't know him. And hearing the stuff Ryan was talking about sounded like a real beast of a guy. And anytime you get somebody from your franchise to go into the Hall of Fame and to be a part of the NFL story like that, it's just a great thing all around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he definitely deserved to get in. If you're not familiar um, with uh, Robert Brazil, you need to go on and watch some tape because the guy was a freak of a linebacker, um, just a monster of a hitter, and definitely that old-school downhill-style linebacker. You know, everybody – I heard someone say or read someone said that he was Lawrence Taylor before Lawrence Taylor, and, you know, which is the highest honor you can probably get from someone else talking about linebackers. Um, and I agree with you on that, Tyler. Last year, you know, Terrell Davis getting in, and nothing against Terrell Davis, but it was like three years that he was really good. Three years, and that's it. I, I definitely think that longevity has to play a part in if you get in or not. It's not just where you good, it's where you good for a long period of time. And he got in before guys like Terrell Owens. And I know that that's a guy that's been a lot of people don't like because of his attitude, because of the way he presents himself. But he's second or third in every wide receiver category, and he got he got in finally this year. But he got looked over twice, and you're talking about statistically the third best wide receiver to ever play the game. You know, you you can't. I just I, that's always bothered me. You always see it's more of a popularity contest than it needs to be. It should be about you know what this guy do, what did he achieve, what are his numbers like, you know, and. What would he? What was he able to do in the playoffs? Obviously, that's a big part of it. But you know, I don't know. It it blew my mind that it took like a guy like Terrell Owens, who has you know all time great like numbers, to get in when a guy that John Elway as his quarterback and had two or three really good seasons. It, you know, he got in on the first try. That kind of you know, you always have those like. Like, how did that guy get in? How did he get in? And we're still waiting on some of these other guys to get in. You know, Kevin Moahe is a guy that's still trying to get in, who, in my opinion, 
should have been in well before this. Uh, you know, he had a fantastic career. He was a, a top top three, top five guy in his position from the day he came into the NFL to the day he left. And, you know, that's a guy that deserves to be in. But I don't know. There, that's a, a conversation for another day, I guess. It's the, the Hall of Fame really needs to re- rework how they're getting a lot of these guys in. Because and, and, guys like, like Robert Brazil, who definitely should have been in years ago, is finally getting in now, and you know some of these guys are not getting in until after they uh, pass away. You know, which is obviously very sad because they deserve to be in in their lifetime. But let's move on here, guys. Congratulations to Robert Brazil. He joins a great group of Hall of Famers um, from the the Oilers and of uh, of free agency to cover. A lot of guys we want to talk about. So we're going to talk about positions here. We're going to bring up positions, talk about some guys we like, you know, we'll debate back and forth and, and see what y'all think. Um, first one I want to talk about here is the guard position. Josh Klein, obviously, is going to be wanting a new contract. We don't know if he's going to stay or not, so let's assume he's moving on and we're not going to go with Josh Klein. We want to upgrade at that position. We want to move on. Who do we go after? Assuming that, top of my list is Andrew Norwell, the guard from the Panthers. He's going to be the top guard free agent. Home run hit here, but he's going to be expensive. I mean, that's that's how it happens in free agency every time. He's going to be expensive. But that is the guy to go out and get. If you want the best guard you can get, that's the best guy out there. Justin Paw is another guy from the Giants. A lot of, guy, a lot of people I've, I've seen talk bad about him. He was forced to play right tackle last year, and he's a mediocre right tackle. But he's a fantastic guard. You know, he's he's a great guard. So that's something that I, you know, I really like him because of his guard play. And he looked bad last year because he was forced in a position that he's not really accustomed to playing and not built to play. Uh, but you know, not only is he a great guard, uh, I think his price tag is going to be a little lower than it should be because. You know, some people might be overlooking him because of the way he played right tackle last year. But also, if you need a right tackle in a pinch, he can come in there and be okay. You know, so versatility is always welcome, you know, when it comes to uh, football players at this level. Those are the, my top two guys I'm really looking at. There's a couple others, but let me get your guys' thoughts on the guard position. My top one would have to be the same as yours. Um, Andrew Norwell, he's... He's one of the free agent targets I feel we should go after. One of the top ones we should be targeting. Um, He's one of, like, five that I have. And, you know, we definitely need an upgrade over Josh Klein. I don't care if he wants to come back or not. He's good, but he's, I don't want to say he's a liability in the run, but we need somebody who can uptick the run a little bit. He seems behind in the run a little bit, and that kind of screws over Jack Conklin from time to time because Jack has to cover him. You know, basically, um, we need we need like I said, we need an upgrade over him, and I think it's time to throw some bucks at, uh, at a good offensive guard. I mean, as long as his name is Andy Lavitri, um, I think it's time for us to at least. Give him an offer, you know, don't forget to pick up the phone to at least say, hey, we want you. He's a top five offensive guard. Definitely think we should at least give him one phone call 
you know, if it's outrageous, then hey, move on down the list. But um, I think the next one would have to be uh, maybe Jack Muhort. Um, his ability as an offensive guard, you know, it, it, it leaves no doubts. The only thing with him is his reoccurring name on the injury report. Um, you know, that dictates that you would almost certainly have to give him a prove-it contract and load it with incentives. So I feel he'd still be worth that, just as long as he's not thinking Alshon Jeffrey money. Really, I have to agree with Tyler. But as far as Andrew Norwell, I don't want to. I wouldn't want to throw the money at him like that. I think I would rather re-sign Josh Klein to a much cheaper contract than to throw that money at Andrew Norwell because I'm more of the old school type. When when it comes to free agency, you know, you're looking for depth. Look for young players with a lot of upside, and at the very least, they can be depth players. Um, as far as <clears throat> looking at some, I agree with what um, Tyler said, but uh, Brian Swanky is also set to be a free agent, and as I talked about earlier, there is a former Titan who is versatile, and that's Byron Bell, and it kind of sucked really bad how he went out on an injury like that and really never got it, got a chance to prove himself under uh, – under a new coaching staff, new GM, and all that because of the injury. But if, if you look at it, the plan was for him to start ahead of Jack Coughlin, and that was kind of a blessing in disguise that he got hurt for us. But you also have a guy like uh, Jari Alexander, or I'm sorry, Jari Evans, who used to be uh, the highest-paid guard in the NFL. He's Of course, he's older now, but I, I feel like he's still got a little bit of juice left in the tank. Evans is a guy I've been looking at as well. A little older, definitely a guy you can't give a large contract to, but it also comes a little cheaper. Really, yeah, still Norwell would be the top guy for me, and I'd be okay. And I agree that you can't you can't go out there and buy a team. You know, it's, it's hard to find a lot of teams that have had a lot of success doing that, but you can you have to find some home runs every now and again. I think Norwell is a home run. You know, twenty six, always healthy. You know, Pro Football Focus graded him out as the number three guard in the league, and he's gonna, he's gonna, you're gonna have to throw cash at him. He's probably gonna be the top paid guard in the league uh, at the end of free agency. But to get a guy and you make that addition to your offensive line, where Ben Jones and Quentin Spain are gonna fight for the least talented guy on your offensive line, you know that's immediately the best offensive line. We're already flirting with best offensive line in the league that is clear in a way the best offensive line in the league and that opens up so much more for what you can do in your running game and in the passing game I mean Marcus Mariota would have minutes back there in the pocket to do his thing so I really like uh, going after him I Muhort's a guy you know playing with the Colts and you brought him up Tyler I like Muhort when he's on the field he's obviously a great player you can see it in the way he's able to move he has really good footwork for a guard you know, but 17 games in the last two seasons he has missed. And it, the injury, it makes you real skeptical. Now, if we can get him for really cheap because of that injury or a really incentivized deal that, you know, you have to show up for 16 games to get this deal or 12 games to get this much, you know, whatever. If we can do something like that, then I would definitely be okay with bringing him on. It just, when you get a guy like Mihort, you're going to have to have really good depth. And so that's more guys we have to go out to get. Just like um, Cody was just saying, Schwenke's a free agent. Uh, Josh Klein's a free agent. We're going to have to get guys, um, either retain guys or go out and draft or free agency. 
find people that can to be quality depth for us, especially if you're going to go after a guy like Jack Muhort that has that injury issue. Is there any other names, though, in uh, in the guard free agency that you guys have been looking at that you guys really like? The only other offensive lineman I've seen was that Texans center, but even even that I see highly doubtful simply because Ben Jones, the only way I could see that guard from, I mean, the center from the Texans coming over um, is extreme depth, and I just don't know if he'll be happy with depth. Um, personally, I feel Ben Jones is our center, and unless we draft Billy Price first round, which I would be extremely upset with, even though I am a Buckeye fan. So um, the only two that I would, that I see at this point are, are my Muhor and Norwell. As far as offensive linemen go, the only other guy I looked at was uh, Cameron Fleming from the uh, New England Patriots. He's a young guy, maybe 24, 25, 26 at the most, but he's mostly been depth there for New England. But he has taken some quality snaps for them, but he's play, he plays offensive tackle, not guard. A couple other guys that I've, I was looking at as well. Um, but there's nobody really at you know top-end guys that I've been looking at except for the guys that I mentioned. Uh, you know, Andrew Nor- Norwell, who's, you know, I'm very high on Justin Paul, who I think is going to be cheaper, uh, or possibly cheaper than what he should be. And then Muhort, obviously great player, but the injuries an issue. And throughout the show, you know, we're going to get into some depth here and there, but it's so hard to pick out really deep, you know, who's going to be our, our third and fourth guy at this position. So most of the guys we're going to be talking about throughout the show are, or high-end, top-end guys. Um, and, but we will get into depth a little bit if you're looking to get a little deeper. We'll definitely get a little deeper in certain positions. But as for guards, you know, for me, it, Andrew Norwell's the guy or, or try to go to the draft. Or Justin Paul would be okay with. Muhort would be okay if we got depth. But Norwell would take a for sure best offensive line in the league. Moving on the running backs here, obviously this is an interesting issue with the Tennessee Titans now because – Derrick Henry's obviously your starter now. You have an aging uh, running back in DeMarco Murray who has a lot of skill. Uh, last year, you know, it becomes the question, was it the injury? Is it aging? Is it a combination of both? And at what, you know, what line is it? Is it 60% because of the injury? Is it, you know, more because he's getting older? But he has a contract that is huge. He's going to get $6.5 this year. So we're probably going to be looking to move on from DeMarco Murray. I don't think you're going to be able to get him very cheap. And I don't know if he's ready to take that backup role. And you can't blame him for that. I mean, who wants to be the backup when you still think that you have starter potential? So we're going to have to start looking at running backs. Obviously, there's a lot of names in the draft. But here's some names that we're going to be talking about uh, throughout free agency uh, as some guys that can do it. The first two guys that I'm going to bring up, um, and these are really in no order for me, are both from the Patriots, Dion Lewis and, and Rex Burkhead, and similar players here. Dion Lewis has great speed, is a weapon in the passing game. Uh, his health is constantly an issue, though. He's definitely a guy that you're gonna have to have a, you know, you're gonna have to have a, a running back three that you have some faith in, because Dion Lewis is more than likely going to go down at some point. Burkhead's a lot more healthy than that. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, small, speedy, has good hands, 
but he's not great at anything. Uh, he's a guy, I think, though, that, you know, a third down back, I think Burkhead is a guy that gives you a lot of upside. Um, Jarek McKinnon's a guy I've been looking at from the Vikings. He's not a great runner, but he has really good hands, and he's a, a key weapon in the passing game. Basically, in my mind, McKinnon has started to become a Theo Riddick or a Giovanni Bernard-type running back. He's a guy that's going to be mainly used in your passing game, uh, and every now and then as a change of pace. So he's not, for me, not exactly what we're looking for in the Titans system, but he's a guy that we could do stuff with. You know, he definitely is a guy that would be an awesome pairing with Marcus Mariota in that point guard style of quarterback where you get out and you pump fake uh, McKinnon loose and then throw the ball. McKinnon's a guy that's really good in the passing game and smart enough to make that play. Um, Orleans Darkwaugh, he's a guy that's a, a bit bigger, averaged 4.3 yards per carry behind a terrible offensive line at the Giants. He's not, you know, a lot of people are looking for this, you know, the smash and dash, the speed to combination, uh, you know, behind Derrick Henry's power. But I think I would rather get the better running back than get the running back that I want to fill that specific role. So Orleans Darkwa is a guy that's a bit bigger, but I think would be a great running back too. You know, he's averaged a really good average behind a terrible offensive line. Had really good runs, caught fire toward the end of the season as well. Another guy that fits that same model is uh, Alfred Morris. Morris has had success now with the Redskins and the Cowboys. Obviously, Cowboys with that offensive line are easy to run behind. Uh, but he has had a really good, um, I think he's like 4.7 yards per game or something like that in the last two years. He's very, very productive. Um, he's a guy that's big and physical. So it'd be, a, you know, it doesn't fit that, that role that everybody I think is looking at. But... If he's the best back available and you can get him at the right price, wouldn't you want the best uh, available player? Morris could be, you know, that guy. So more of smash and smash than uh, smash and dash. But uh, out of this list, for me, I like Morris. I like Darqua a lot. I think those two don't fit that speed back type. And if you really want that, I think your best case is to probably go to the draft. But they're two guys I think will be would be great backups to to Derrick Henry and give us, uh, you know, get some carries away from Derrick Henry. Make sure he's healthy for a season. We're not riding him like they did at Alabama. So for me, I like Darkwa and I like Morris a lot. Probably Darkwa a little bit more because of his age. Yeah, and you know, I too am definitely sold on the reality that Demarco Murray won't be on the team to July. Um, you know, that that means that a free agent target is, is definitely in the works. And, you know, it, it basically has to, it has to be either that or the draft because our version of the flu isn't scaring anybody. And, you know, I've seen some, um, some fans are like, oh, is it possible for Le'Veon Bell? I'm like, if you're thinking Le'Veon Bell, dream on it. It ain't happening in a million years. And... Well, not only his his attitude, but it's just not going to happen. So, um, some players that I went through and and checked out, the big biggest one I would be interested with would be Jeremy Hill. Um, he regressed a little bit this year, um, but he's he's like another player I'll be mentioning later. Um, his regression is probably the best thing for us. Um, 
because it would be Hill, it would be Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. They were all impacted by a bad offensive line in Cincinnati and poor quarterback play. Um, you know, and, and Cincinnati has to make some choices. You know, do they want to stick with the rookie or do they want to keep Bernard? You know, what do they want to do? And I think Jeremy Hill could be an, a nice change of pace as opposed to a Derrick Henry, you know, bruise him kind of a running style. Um, the other one that I had was, was yours, uh, Rex Burkhead. You know, he he could be a very great plug-and-play, you know, receiver and runner for Marcus. Um, seems he's Tom Brady's security blanket um, that's not named Gronk, Amandala, or uh, Kevin Hogan. And, you know, he might command some money, but I don't think it's going to be anything too expensive. So he could be a reasonable price acquisition. Another one I saw, but highly unlikely, um, because of, you know, his, his status in the league is Carlos Hyde. He's probably a starter. So I think if, if Carlos could settle into a rotational role, he'd be the best free agent running back we could get because he was one of the few prized possessions on the 49ers for several years. And, you know, he still performed to high standards. Um, now you give him a good quarterback, wide receivers, Pro Bowl, MVP, tight end, an O-line, and now a new OC. It could inflate Carlos a lot, but again, the question would be, would he be happy with the rotation role with Derrick Henry as the likely lead back? Personally, I feel our next running back is going to come from the draft, and it's going to be a shifty guy. It's going to be a uh, Sony Michelle or uh, Royce Freeman or that I can't remember the kid's name. He played in the Senior Bowl, put up like over a hundred and something yards. Um, I think it's going to come from the draft, but those are the three I feel. If we were to go the route of a free agent running back, those would be the three that I would say. Uh, me and Ryan talked about this. I, I this is just assuming that Demarco Murray isn't going to be here. So I've got it broken into two different categories. One is your shifty, speedy pass catching back, and then the other one is your more power backs, uh, goal line backs, that type of back. Depending on which way this team wants to go, and I'll start with the shifty backs. And I also had Dion Lewis and Rex Burkhead. The way I look at it is Dion is more shifty, more quick, uh, better in uh, tight space, but Rex is a better uh, pass catcher. I mean, the Patriots even lined him up. Um, out on the outside running slant routes and things like that. And Dion can also um, help you on special teams. The Patriots used used him as the return man, but his health is a big concern. And uh, I would I would like to use him less than what the Patriots do if we did sign him, maybe specifically for that third down role or specifically for those uh, passing downs. But another guy I had on this list, he's an older guy as well. But uh, he used to be one of the best running backs in the league, and he settled into that third down, that change of pace back. And that's Jamal Charles, uh, what he's doing with the Broncos now. He's the third down back and the breather back, and uh, he's accepted that role, and he's done a decent job at that role. Switching over to the power backs, I would say uh, 
uh, Jeremy Hill, I, I almost forgot his name there, and we were just talking about him, but um, he's young. Um, he's proven to be good, but that just that offensive line is just bad. So um, that's really hindered him this year. Uh, but I also have a name you haven't mentioned. That's Isaiah Crowell. Uh, he's more of a power back, but he's kind of well-rounded at the same time and can do a lot of different things. And I think he would be a good change of pace back or a good breather back for Derrick Henry. He can do a lot of the same things that Derrick, Derrick Henry can do as well. You brought up some guys here that I purposely left off of my list just because I don't think they're going to want to come in uh, and be guys that are going to be rotational guys. Um, Jeremy Hill, he's a guy that might have to. You know, that's going to be interesting, and I almost added him on my list and I didn't, but he had a really awesome rookie campaign, and then he's had some so-so years since then. But he's a guy that obviously can run the ball. He has some vision problems that he needs to work out a little bit, but a great running back number two, obviously. I, I, he might have to accept a backup role. And if you're going to, why not run behind uh, Derrick Henry on a team that's obviously trending up? Carlos Hyde's a guy that I think, Tyler, I think you're getting a little too lofty. I, I think that there's too too many teams that need a good running back. I think he's going to get a spot where he's a uh, running back one still. He's still relatively young. He's a hell of a football player. Like you said, basically the only part of San Francisco that was working for a long time. Uh, and, and I think that he's going to be able to get a, a spot where he's going to be a running back one. Um, yeah, and I I knew from the get-go that there's going to be no chance. It's just that by some miracle that John Robinson is able to sell something to Carlos and get him to be okay with a rotational role. But I highly doubt it's going to happen because, you know, you could even have Denver throw money at him for all we know. Uh somebody's going to need Carlos and they'll throw money at him to get him out of San Francisco if he wants to go. Right. And, and it's, I mean, there's a lot of teams out there that could use a guy like Carlos Hyde. Le'Veon Bell, I have heard people bring that up and he's going to want unreal money. He's a selfish guy. He doesn't fit what John Robinson and Mike Vrabel are going to try to do with this team. And the pay, the payday is going to be outrageous. He's just a guy that I want to avoid completely. I know the talent, is obviously there. He's obviously a top three running back in the league, and without question, I just don't want that kind of distraction. I don't want a guy that's you know out there playing for himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely. I, I would agree with what Tyler said. I think we are going to go to the draft looking for a backup, a guy that we can try to get in the second round, maybe or a late first round pick. Um, I'd rather see us use that first round pick on a pass rusher, but this. This uh, draft is going to be pretty deep on the, the defensive side of the ball, like last year's was. So it might be, it might pay off to go after, like you were talking about, a Sony Michelle, you know, coming out of Georgia, who can do a very shifty guy, can do it on the passing game, uh, a guy that would add a lot of an extra dimension to this offense. Truly, um, a guy like that, if you can get him later in the first round, and then possibly get your pass rusher in the second round. It'll depend, and you know, John Robinson obviously and his staff, I think, have done an excellent job so far, and they'll they'll look and try to find the right answer. But I think it's going to happen. Now, if you do do it in free agency, you know, the, Burkhead would be all right. I mean, he's a guy that is shifty, small. He can do it in the passing game. He has a lot to like there. He's a guy that I always refer to as slippery. He's hard to wrap up and tackle, even though he's a little guy. He's just so shifty, and his footwork is so clean. 
um, if you want to go that way. Uh, Alfred Morris and Darkwa, I think, would be great pickups. I think a lot of people are looking, overlooking Orleans Darkwa. He's a guy I've been pretty high on. To have that kind of average against how bad that offensive line was is pretty impressive. But I agree with what Tyler said. I likely think we head to the draft looking for our running back. But there's a few names out there that we've been looking at at the running back position. Um, We're going to talk about wide receivers next. And the wide receivers might be the most top-heavy out of any of the uh, positions that we're going to talk about. And right now, we don't truly, absolutely need high-end depth, or high-end talent, excuse me, at a wide receiver position. Uh, Eric Decker, you know, we don't know if we're going to resign him or not yet. We talked about that last week, uh, me and Cody did, but he might be gone, he might be here. We do have Cordy Davis, you know, an up-and-coming young man that we have a lot of faith in, but... In the scenario that we do try to bring in some guys, there's a lot of talent out there right now at wide receiver to possibly pull in a lot of guys that might um, might be able to call Nashville their new home, but most of them are going to come with pretty hefty price tags. Obviously, the first one, Jar- Jarvis Landry, who might be the headliner of this group, uh, likely going to be the top wide receiver in free agency, like I just mentioned, has unreal production with very inconsistent quarterback play. I mean, if you look at Tannehill, who's had a really up-and-down career, then he's out. And then you have Cutler and Matt Moore, you know, trading off week-to-week, it seems like. And Jarvis Landry still still has a great season. I mean, you look statistically, he's still put up a really good season. Gets over 100 catches almost every year. And he's not even 26 years old yet. I mean, there's a lot to like with Jarvis Landry. It seems like the contract negotiations between him and the Dolphins are breaking down. It, I Personally, to me, the way it's looking right now, I don't think he'll be in Miami next year. I think he's going to test the waters and see what he can get. Now, it's going to be a hefty price tag. He is going to be a guy that is probably the highest paid wide receiver at the end of the year. Uh, so it's very expensive to go get Jarvis Landry, but obviously his talents speak for themselves. He's been a very good wide receiver despite not having... Um, the best quarterback play. Another guy we're going to talk about, Josh Gordon, elite level wide receiver. I don't think anybody would argue that, but he has the inability to stay out of trouble, the inability to stop smoking pot. I mean, let's call it what it is. That's what it is. He's he's not out there, you know, robbing banks or doing stupid shit like that. But he just can't quit smoking, and he can't, uh, you know, keep providing clean piss tests. I think he's going to be a lot cheaper. Uh, and I think you can can get him on a very incentive-heavy deal. That way, if he does you know, get in trouble, it's not going to hurt you nearly as bad, which is obviously a big plus because the plus side is Josh Gordon quite possibly could be a top-five wide receiver in the league still. You know, He's still pretty young. He's still in really good shape. He has an amazing skill set. This guy is you know, an elite-level wide receiver. So if you're going to go out there and get him... I still think the contract is going to be hefty, but you can incentivize it so much that if he doesn't come onto the field, he's not performing, you're not going to pay him very much. If that's the case, I'm 100% behind going and getting Josh Gordon. It's a gamble, but you won't be gambling your money as much as you would be your time in a roster spot. Uh, Allen Robinson, I think a name we're all familiar with as Titans fans, a very good wide receiver that has also been plagued with poor quarterback play just like Jarvis Landry. 
We all know how good Robinson is. Coming off an injury, he's going to drop his price tag a little bit. So, you know, you're going to have to look at that injury and have your team doctors look at uh, Robinson. But if he comes back and he's healthy, he's ready to go, he's obviously a guy that can come in almost any system and be a wide receiver one. Ultra-talented guy. We've seen him do damage against us. So a guy that I think would be interesting to bring in. Uh, Terrell Pryor, and I know there's a lot of other names out there, and I'm sure you guys are going to bring them up, but Terrell Pryor's the last guy I wanted to bring up uh, right now. He had a down year with the Redskins, but I really feel that that was the way that they used him more than it was him you know, having a, a bad year because he's not as talented or, or whatnot. I think Terrell Pryor's a guy that, as soon as you get him in open field, he might be the deadliest player in the NFL in the open field. He is a guy that can make plays out of nothing. You know, he, he can do it all. He can pass, he can run, he can catch. He, he's, he's a jack of all trades. And I feel like the Redskins tried to make him more into a conventional wide receiver, which you just can't do. To get the best out of Terrell Pryor, you have to game plan for Terrell Pryor. You know, that's up to the coaches in order to do that. But if you bring a guy like him in and you do... Uh, you know, game plan for him and make plays specifically for Pryor. He's a guy that can get you chunk plays left, right, and center. Um, so he's a guy I'd definitely be interested in bringing in. It adds another layer to your offense. It adds, you know, a lot of plays to your playbook. Um, you know, we kind of saw what Dory Jackson could do with the offense early on in the season. Terrell Pryor's that kind of play. He's a gadgety for sure. You know, I won't quite call him a gadget player, but he's gadgety. But he's a guy that can add another layer to your offense. I think would be a great pickup, and I think because he had a down year statistically, Terrell Pryor is going to be a good value pick. He's going to go cheaper than what he should, especially with the guys I just mentioned on top of him. You're, I mean, Terrell Pryor is probably what the four, five, sixth um, receiver in free agency, so he's probably going to go for pretty cheap, and he's going to add an immediate lift to the team he goes to. What are some names that you guys are looking at? Um, the biggest one that I had my eye on, to be honest, you know, because frankly, I don't see us throwing money at either of the top of the board uh, free agents. Only one I could see was Jarvis Landry, but personally, he's a no from me because it just seems like he's a boat rocker, a locker room cancer. Name your cliche. Uh, the number one, and he's the number one that I would pick. And he and it's not in the order that they would have them ranked, like they would rank them, you know, the top free agents available. He's actually one of the ones to the bottom of the free, and it would be Marquise Lee. Um, when Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson went out, uh, Marquise Lee became Blake Bortles' favorite guy. Um, you know, even though he couldn't hit him hardly ever, uh, being Blake Bortles, um, you know, he was one of many Jags wide receivers that was, that was undercut by Blake Bortles. But like I said, he was his favorite target for most of the year. Um, and you know, hopefully their salary cap situation, you know, catches the Jaguars cutting players and selling crack to try to scramble for some free agents. And, Marquise Lee, he he would add another shifty element. He would be another Taewon Taylor speedy kind of a guy, but he's proven that he has the ability to catch the ball, which, you know, I wish Eric Decker knew how to at age 31. Um, 
another one that I saw was uh, Taylor Gabriel. And it's probably good for the transition of offensive coordinators in Atlanta because, um, you know, he had a poor output, uh, you know, which basically makes him expendable for the Falcons, but he'd basically be a gem in the middle for us, you know. Personally, I'd like to see Taewon and Taylor, um, you know, in a 100-yard race, you know, pun intended on that. Uh, Taylor Gabriel also could be that Marquise Lee. Um, you know, in a four-wide receiver set, you have Corey Davis and whoever, and Rashard on the outside, and then you have Taewon and uh yeah, God, that's a tongue twister. You have Taewon and Gabriel on the insides, and you have your speedy guys. So I think that could add the speed element, you know, make us extremely dangerous in the slot. Um, and Paul Richardson would be the last one uh, that I would target. He just seems like he's stuck behind Doug Baldwin. And, you know, Doug Baldwin gets the majority of all that action in Seattle. So I think if he's given the opportunities, he's going to make the most of them. And I'd definitely like to see what LaFleur can do with him. You guys ready for this? I've been waiting on this position group. I might be a little bit long-winded here. <laughs> the way Ryan mentioned earlier the uh, top three of Jarvis Landry, Allen Robinson, and Josh Gordon – what I've been calling it here lately is the power four with those three to go along with Sammy Watkins. And um, I can rule out uh, Josh Gordon right off the bat because as soon as John Robinson took over, he wants smart, tough, dependable, team-first guys. And, you know, not being able to stay on the field because of substance abuse, that's not smart. And it's also not team-first. It's, <clears throat> it's not putting the team ahead of everything else if you're, if you're uh, willing to do, put that above them. But the only two out of here that I can see the Titans either going for out of the top four would be either Sammy Watkins or Allen Robinson. And I think Allen Robinson, because he'll be a little bit cheaper than Jarvis Allen, uh, Jarvis Landry due to the injury. But Sammy Watkins might be a cheaper, too, because of all the injuries he's endured throughout his career. Plus us hiring Matt LaFleur, if he wants to follow his offensive coordinator to Tennessee, you know, just come on. But uh, the main guy that I got my eye on that I think is going to be a really, really good bargain is Bryce Butler out of uh, Dallas, Texas, the Cowboys. Um, the guy is six foot three. He has four three speed. So right then and there, he's got all the makings of a number one wide receiver with the speed and size combo. But uh, he appeared on uh, Undisputed with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, and he t- he was talking about a situation in Dallas and about how he's about to hit free agency and everything like that. And what he talked about was in Dallas, they have specific roles for their wide receivers to do. And that was his biggest issue with them. And that's uh, mostly why he's looking to move on from them is because he wasn't getting to do everything that he's capable of. He wanted more responsibilities, more opportunities, but because of his speed, they mainly used him to run go routes and uh, he wants to, um, to do more. And he even talked about, you know, he has all the respect in the world for Dez, but he said that there's not nothing that Dez can do that he couldn't do just as well or even better, and he's proved that in practice. But, you know, they got to go with their with the guy that they're paying all that money to in Dez Bryant. But, like he said, he can do all that and um, do it just as well or better. So 
right off the bat. You know, of course, you can't just take his word for it, but if you can get him on the deal that he's probably going to go for and he does come out and put up numbers like Des Bryant, I mean, you automatically got a steal right there. And he said he also he's also going to take into consideration um, about what his role will be when he signs with the team, who that quarterback is, if the team is trending up and down. He's going to take all that into consider- consideration whenever he signs with the team. The next guy I have is Danny Amendola, you know, Patriots guy, John Robinson, Patriots guy. He's been with the Patriots forever, and he's uh, basically the best man-to-man wide receiver that they've got. You heard him talk about it on the Super Bowl, if you watch the Super Bowl with the uh, announcers on it. So um, you look at those throws that he made. It wasn't Tom Brady threading the needle or fitting the ball in tight windows. This guy was running wide open a lot of the time when the Eagles are playing on man-to-man coverage. So if you get out and you die and Marcus diagnoses this man-to-man coverage, automatically he's got somebody to throw to right there. And then the last guy I have is uh, John Brown, another guy that has trouble staying on the field because of health issues, um, but uh, certainly a deep threat that could really stretch the field. Got a similar body type to uh, Taewon Taylor. and I feel like he could take Taewon Taylor under his wing because a lot of the things, they look like they have a very, very similar skill set to me. Yeah, you brought up a couple guys that I was hoping would be brought up here. First off, starting with Amendola is a guy that, not only, you know, all the things that you mentioned, the body type, the speed, the hands, the ability to make plays at open field, but also coming from a team where he's won, you know, Super Bowls and he knows what it takes to get there. And you you pay extra for that, for sure. Everybody knows that in free agency. But, you know, with a wide receiver group that's this deep in free agency, he's probably going to go for decently cheap And if he does leave uh, New England. And he's a guy I think that could be instantly be a weapon. Um, you talked about Marquise Lee earlier. Tyler did. He's a guy that I also would definitely wanted to talk about. He he stepped up big this year for them. I really think the Jags are going to try to retain him, especially if they can't get Robinson back in, in Jacksonville. Uh, but if he does leave, I think he's a guy that really is going to outplay his value. He I mean he does it right now with Jacksonville. I think he's going to do it where he goes to next. He's a guy that's sneaky good. You kind of forget about Marquise Lee, and then he he has a brilliant game against you, and you're like, oh, this son of a bitch. Like he's, he's sneaky good. Um, Butler's a guy that has been going re- way under the radar, in my opinion. Uh, he's really good. You know, if you watch – I watched a little bit of their, um, their camps last year and their uh, training camp, and watching him – line up and the way he moves off of the line I mean he was he has a lot of skills that you're looking for in a young wide receiver that can be groomed into something really special Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to go for crazy cheap too and and has a lot of potential he's a guy that's going to be low risk high reward for sure Sammy Watkins though is a guy that man he's so up and down throughout his career injuries have been a constant problem with Watkins he's not a guy I'm really high on it depends on where his price tag's going to be because I still think he's going to be one of the top receivers in this free agency. So he's likely going to be expensive. Um, but, you know, Matt LaFleur, he's going to be a guy that knows exactly what you're going to get from Sammy Watkins and, and is going to be able to really decide. I think they're going to lean on him a lot. Like, is this a guy that we should go after? Is this a guy that's going to make this football team better? So if we do get him then it's because Matt LaFleur has confidence in him. If we don't, 
then I think that that's going to be part of the reason to the opposite side that Matt Lafleur did not want him. Uh, you know, and so if we do get him, I'll be okay with it then because you know obviously Matt Lafleur sees something in our offense that that could use a Sammy Watkins type player. And he, I mean, he has great games. He's had great seasons. He's just so up and down, you know, and with that price tag that he's likely going to get, that's not paying for up and down. That's paying for consistency. You know, there's a, there's a handful of other guys out there that I think would be good additions. And I think you guys are right in that we don't go after top-end talent, but it's fun to talk about nonetheless. I don't think we go after top-end talent, though. I think we try to find guys that can fit in our rotation and and guys that have certain things, certain qualities that we don't have on this team. With Taewon Taylor, you have a guy that can break a play wide open, but he doesn't catch really good in contested 50-50 balls. You know, Corey Davis is a more of a complete package guy, even though he has a lot to learn. You know, he, he has a lot of skills. That's why we drafted him as high as we did. One thing that really lacks is, is the kind of a guy that can go up and use his body. And that's what we thought we were getting when we brought in Eric Decker, although we really didn't use that much. And when we did use it, it didn't work out as well as I think a lot of us expected it to. You know, you look at that play that wins the Kansas City game, that wasn't, you know, a great move off the line. It wasn't a great route. I mean, it, it was, you know, those were good. But what made that play was he used his body, blocked out the wide receiver, and Marcus is through into his massive body, and we score a touchdown. We need guys like that. And Corey Davis can do it. We just haven't seen it from him yet. I think he'll get that skill. But that's one thing I think is really lacking is outside Delaney Walker, we don't have guys that can use their body to shut out defenders to make those easy throws into coverage because sometimes you're just going to have to throw into coverage in this level. So definitely something that I'm going to be looking for. And there's guys out there that can do that. Terrell Pryor is a guy that can do that. Um, Butler's a guy that I think can do that with his body size. You know, I mean, they're going to look for for more depth and guys that can do stuff that we don't have on our team, I think, is going to be a key factor in it. Um, but it's fun to talk about the top end talent because how exciting would it be to see Jarvis Landry streak down the field, or, or jo- God, sorry, Josh Gordon or Allen Robinson streak down the field for uh, Marcus to throw to? But uh, you know, I think those are also pipe dreams. I don't think it's going to happen. All right, we're going to move on here to probably the most fun position to talk about. And we keep saying we can't really see the team spending that much money here or there. You know, we're probably not going to get the top-end talent here or there. If we go after a big name, this is likely where it would come from. Of course, I'm talking about edge rushing and defensive ends. There's a lot of guys out here, a lot of talent coming out of this group here. I think there's a big potential that Tennessee could land one of these big names. So starting off here, I'm going to start with the biggest name probably. That's Demarcus Lawrence from the Cowboys. One of the best players in free agency regardless of the position. He's going to be expensive. Even though he has a history of injury and suspensions, um, his production speaks for itself. He's been unbelievably productive when he's on the field. If he stays on the field and stays out of trouble, stays healthy, it's it's easy to see that he could be a Hall of Famer. He's that kind of talented. He would be an instant upgrade. Now, he doesn't... Some people have said, like, oh, well, would he fit the system? He's an edge rusher. If you give him an edge, 
that's what he does. We, you know, even though we run like a three-four, we stay a lot in the four-three. We stay a lot with four guys out, and I think the Marcosaurus gives you a little bit of flexibility in how and who, when what personnel you have on the field. You can play him at linebacker and draw in an extra lineman if you want to. You can play him at defensive end, which is his position, and uh, and have an extra linebacker out there. You can do a lot with him because even though. He is a defensive end, and he's a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. He plays on the edge, and in our system, a lot of times that edge guy will be either uh, Arakpo or Morgan. So he's a guy that you could, if you wanted to, bring in an extra defensive lineman with Demarcus Lawrence in there for a five-man front. You, you can do a lot with him, and he's going to be productive, as long as you can keep him on the field. Now, I think... I have some other deep, some Cowboys later on. I think if you split these guys up, a lot of that off-the-field issues would stop. I think that the big problem is, is all these guys are together, and when you get some guys together that all have bad ideas, they're going to go with those bad ideas. When you get them around guys that are smart, well-put-together pros, the bad guy will not do stupid stuff. It'll start to come around, and he'll start doing stuff with his teammates that's productive and intelligent in the offseason. So getting him out of Dallas, I think, would get rid of a lot of the, you know, the issues that he's had off the field. Um, injuries, obviously, you can't really predict at all. Uh, but he doesn't have a big injury history. He's just he's had a few big injuries. Demarcus Lawrence, I think, is a home run hit. I, I think he would be obviously incredibly expensive. He's not going to be a guy that's going to come cheap by no means. But I think he could be instantly productive in our defense and any defense he would go to he's that kind of player the next guy is the exact same type also young ultra productive ultra talented that's Ziggy Ansah from the Lions now the Lions are going to make a big push just like the Cowboys will to try to retain these guys uh, but the price tag is going to be immense and neither of these two teams have a ton of money both of them have somewhat got some cap space to work with but none of them have a ton of money where the Titans do have a lot of money to work with. So we could bring in a guy like Lawrence Aronsaw. Both of them, like I said, young, explosive, ultra-disruptive kind of players. And if we had a guy like that, and we've said this a million times on this show, and I'm sure every fan has said this a million times, like, man, if we had a guy like that, just one guy like that, our defense could be top 10. And our defense might be top 5 if we had a guy that was that disruptive. I, I think that... These two guys, in my opinion, are one and two. Um, you know, get either one of them, and you're going to have an incredible edge rusher that can really set the tone on your defense. That makes you know everything else you do so much easier. Um, next on my list is another guy, Coney Ely, coming from the Jets, and he's a guy that really fits that edge style. He, you know, he plays a little bit of defensive end, a little bit of outside linebacker, young, talented, and in my opinion, he's really overlooked. I think he's going to be. A guy that falls down a little bit, you know, with some free agents uh, in free agency, some teams overlooking him because of guys like Lawrence and Ansah. But he is—I don't think as quite as talented, but he's a great talent. I think he'd be a great value pickup if they didn't want to spend as much money. And I know that he's, you know, at sometimes not been as productive. But I think if you look what he did with the Jets last year in a very bad roster and still was productive. That's really impressive, and I think that he's a guy that could come in and immediately be an, a big lift for our defense. 
The next guy is a guy that's just built like Coney Ely, plays that outside linebacker position, but truly he's an edge rusher, and that's D Ford. Uh, had a down year that, you know, he had a back injury early in the season, didn't really do that well this year, but he has a lot of potential. We've seen him have very successful seasons. He's still pretty young. Um, he's a bit of a risk though with that back injury because back injuries along the defensive line seem to linger in that position, especially edge rushers. It seems like it's really hard to get rid of once you have it. So D Ford's a little bit of a risk, but he's going to be relatively cheap. Um, and I think a guy that could make a big difference. So those are my four. And I don't think it's the top four. I think Demarcus Lawrence and Ansar are the top two. I think Ely and Ford are a little further down, but they give you those two are more value picks. I think they're guys that are going to outplay their price tag. Lawrence and Ansar are guys that are going to get contracts so big that it's impossible to outplay your contract, but they're going to be worth it, you know, down the line when it comes to. Uh, how productive your defense is going to be with them on the field alone. You know, those two guys are, you know, top-level, elite-level young um, defensive ends that are going to do a lot for your football team. So they're going to come with a hefty price tag. But who are some guys that you are looking at? Um, personally, um, you know, the, the term edge and, you know, overall defensive end, outside linebacker, that all still depends on your scheme. And we've heard from Vrabel in his um, in his press conference that we're going to have defensive front multiplicity, you know, which means we're going to be running th- uh, three, four, five, you know, what, whatever need be. So basically, to sum it up, we're a multiple defense. So when you're a multiple defense, it, it's even harder to gauge just what would be best for us because you have guys who are strictly three, four defensive ends. You have guys who are uh, four, three defensive ends. And then you, those four, three defensive ends, you can sometimes convert to an outside linebacker, a la Derek Morgan. He was a four, three defensive end. Um, you know, personally, if <sighs> – in terms of our scheme, I can I can't see us signing a high profile defensive end just because I think Daquan Jones for his performance during the year, I think he's gonna get another contract. Um and you know, I don't think we will, but if if we switch to a four three base most of the time, which I, I don't think is going to happen. But if if that happens, that almost certainly moves Derek Morgan back down the defensive end. But that's a whole nother – that's a conversation for another day. I just don't see any defensive end, defensive ends coming in. Now, linebackers and uh, defensive tackles, you know, we can, we can talk about linebackers and defensive tackles. Um, for defensive tackle, I could see, uh, you know, with the uncertainty of Austin Johnson, um, it's not going to be Poe. We're not going after Poe, so people can forget that. Um, Xavier Williams uh, saw him. Uh, he seems like he could be be a good setup. Uh, if, if we change fronts and – you know, he could even be our true nose tackle in 3-4. It just depends on, like like I said, the scheme. Because Williams is a perennial run stopper 
who happens to have just enough motor to be a good pass rusher. Um, you know, look for the only thing about it is he's a restricted free agent. So you got to look for John Robinson to see is the draft pick compensation, you know, worth it there. Um, a, uh, another guy that I saw for defensive tackle uh, could be Bo Allen. Uh, interesting thing about him, he's only 26, and he could settle into a rotation role nicely for us on first and second down because he's like basically our Avery Williamson of the defensive tackles. He's a run specialist. Um, if you want to go the outside linebackers, you know, pass rushing specialists and whatnot, uh, a lot of people are going to question me when I say this, but Barkevius Mingo, um, I think he's going to be, if he could be a Titan, he would be our next Eric Walden. Um, you know, he's a pass rusher, but he also has the ability to cover, you know, and it's, it's the understanding that he's not the top 10 pick that he was by the Browns. Make him settle for a role player and rotational. You know, bring him in to spell Arakpo and Morgan. Um, you know, he he could be the possibly one of the few third three down outside linebackers we've had, which is very rare. Um, and then Jerry Attitude, he's uh, he's like I said, one of those. You know, he can do it all. He he's a jack of all trade kind of defender. And he's not going to come with a big price tag, um, you know. And our our defensive line mul- multiplicity will play well into his hands, and where he's able to play deep, both defensive end and outside linebacker. Um, the only thing with him, I would just like to see more, definitely more consistent play. If I saw him in two tone, but a lot of the term defensive end and edge and outside linebacker, it's going to depend on what we're going to run the majority of the time, because yeah, we're going to have a multiple defense, but we're going to be more than one of the others. So whether it's a three front or four front or five front, that's what's going to come to. The one thing that we know for sure is we're going to want to get the disruptive players. You want to get in the backfield and with a multiple front, you really can do anything. You know, truly the entire NFL runs multiple fronts. I think a guy like Ansaw or Lawrence could really, you really could do, you, you can't do a ton with them. You can't move them everywhere, but you can still do everything that you want to do. Just keep them where they're at and move everybody around them. That's the kind of player you're getting there. With Coney Ely and D Ford, I think you're getting two guys that can, that you can move around a lot. Um, and they're going to be cheaper, but not nearly as productive. Yeah, our defense is going to show a lot of different looks. So it's important to get some versatile guys because if you look back from when our team was transitioning from Mike Munchak over to Ray Horton and and Dick LeBeau, and you look what Derek Morgan said, he says when you're a defensive end with a hand in the dirt, the guy across from you, that offensive tackle is your whole world. But when you transition to that standing up outside edge rusher, you got a lot more to think about. You got to think about that tackle. You got to think about the quarterback you got to think about the tight end you got to think about the running back so there's a lot of more thinking to it whenever you do transition to that standing up outside linebacker spot so we want to find some guys who are versatile to do to do both because we're going to be doing a lot of different things and I really like that five-man front that you mentioned earlier I'd like to see more of that from our team but as far as a few guys that I have listed 
uh, Jeremiah Atucho, Atucci, however you say his name. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but me and Tyler and you as well talked about that earlier today. I like how he's built. He's super athletic, and they use him over there with the Chargers about like how uh, Mike Vrabel used um, Jadavian Clowney over there in Houston. He's kind of that queen piece who can uh, rush from anywhere, and um, he, he he's really going to fit what Mike Vrabel does. Of course, he wasn't as productive as they would have liked him to be as a, as a second-round pick, but uh, he's had some big plays, and like Tyler said, he's just been a little bit too inconsistent. Another guy I have written down is uh, Marque- Marquise Flowers. Uh, he's only 25 years old. He's from the New England Patriots. He led their team in sacks this past year. Um, but they run that 4-3 scheme with a hand in the dirt, and it kind of makes me question how would he do transitioning to a standing-up outside edge rusher. Of course, he can rush, but they're asked to do uh, multiple things, different teams. But given his age, he's young enough that he can learn it and he can master it, just like Derek Morgan did. And Derek Morgan was older whenever he tried to transition from one to the other. A few other guys I have listed, more lower-end guys, would be Cassius Marsh. Uh, he's with the Patriots also. Uh, well, he's with someone else now. I can't remember. I think it's the 49ers, but he started out with the Seahawks. Uh, he is an edge rusher, and he does see time on the field uh, every once in a while, but he's mostly just a special teams ace. You put him on your uh, kickoff coverage, on your uh, field goal block attempts, things like that. Another guy I have written is Trent Murphy, who's you could consider pretty much a draft bust given where he was drafted, but he has seen time on the field. He's just been terribly, terribly inconsistent with a low level of play, but uh, he's going to be cheap, and um, he can he can come in, and he's got experience for how many years he's been in the league now. Those, I like a lot of the names that you brought up. The one that worries me a little bit is uh, Jeremiah Tucho, or however you say his name. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. Uh, you know, the how, big injury has never had a really productive season. You know, he had that 2015 season in which he had six sacks. So that kind of I can see where you guys like you see the the potential there. It's obviously there, but the big injury and then the lack of production like worries me a little bit about him. You know, we want to get a guy who's going to be disruptive, can come in and be disruptive. Um, so. That worries me about him. Most of the other guys that you mentioned, though, I do like. Can I uh, can I throw in one more? I I completely forgotten about him until I just I just seen his name. Um, Nigel Bradham. Um, he uh, yeah he's he's about twenty eight I think. Um, so he's just a shade under Brian Arakpo. Um but he could definitely you know if if we're talking about moving the fronts around, um, you know, and need be if we end up moving Morgan back to the, you know, whatever we do. But if we can bring in Bradham, it, like, to take over someone's spot because they're on a different part of the line, um, he just seems like, you know, he he's quite simply one of a rare breed because he's an outside linebacker you can rely on in coverage and pass pass rush ability um they they had him covering Gronk for a little bit before they started switching things around in the Super Bowl and I'm assuming that's when Gronk went off um his his presence would it'd be just what the doctor ordered in terms of covering tight ends but 
again, like I said, in order for that to happen, we would have to transition to a base 4-3, and that would almost certainly require either Arakpo or Morgan to move up onto the defensive line. So it's one that I don't think is likely, but it, it it's a possibility. just depends on where John Robinson wants to go with stuff because theoretically you could – you could try to do some stuff with Derek Morgan on the line and then you're going to have a backup piece that you would need. So, Yeah, Bradham was a guy I was going to bring up a little bit later and he is a guy that he can provide somewhat of a pass rush but he definitely makes his money uh, in coverage. He's a guy that would obviously for us be great to have. It's one of our weaknesses to linebackers covering tight ends and we got better at it this year for sure with Wesley Woodyard taking a big step up. The addition of Jayon Brown definitely helped out. Uh, but he's a guy that is really great in coverage. He's a fantastic um, linebacker in coverage. So when you get a piece like that, especially when you're going to do multiple fronts and move people around, even though he's built better for a 4-3 uh, four, four, system, you can do a, when you're in that multiple fronts, you can move him around. You know, you can... The NFL, I'll say this, the NFL is less specialized on 4-3 and 3-4 than it used to be. You can almost fit any guy in when your system with what you're doing if you're crafty enough, if you're creative enough. Uh, Bradham's a guy that we could use, and in a multiple front, he's not a guy that's going to get like 100% of the snaps, but you're going to bring him in, he's going to start the game, and he's going to get you know, 60 and 60% of the snaps, depending on the team that you're playing and how often they like to pass. But a guy that's that good in coverage is obviously going to be an asset, especially with the way the the game is going. Heavy passing, you know, running backs and line, or running backs and tight ends being ever present in the passing game. He's a guy that would be a complete asset. You know, definitely a guy that I've been looking at, a guy I like, and I think we should go after. Even though he, we're, he's not going to fit perfectly into the system that we're doing. With that multiple front, you're going to show them different looks constantly. So I think it's going to be a guy that can be effective in our system. But you brought up defensive tackles a little bit, so I wanted to talk about guys that at the tackle position and a couple nose tackles uh, that I really liked as well. Uh, first one, Sheldon Richardson. He's going to come with a hefty price tag. Uh, you know, he played the three four before. I think he'd make the transition easily. Uh, Richardson can play every position really across the defensive line at a high level. He's almost always disruptive, but he's going to come with a hefty price tag. Uh, another guy, David Irving. David Irving's a restricted free agent, so you know they can whatever offer we make, the Cowboys get a chance to match it. But this year was you know spent time out with a suspension and a concussion, uh, and only played eight games. But in eight games from the defensive tackle position, he had seven sacks. That's pretty amazing, pretty astounding. Uh, he's ultra-productive when he's on the field. He's a great piece to have. The one thing is, I think, the Cowboys, especially because they're likely going to lose Lawrence, they're going to really want to keep him. And they have the ability to match any price that you throw out there. So you're probably going to have to overpay to get him in that scenario. Uh, you talked about Dontari Poe. I wanted to bring him up real quick. He's a guy that was really good for a while, had a bad year, had kind of a one-year prove-it deal with the Falcons. He did well. I think bringing him in would be nice. It would 
free up uh, Jarrell Casey in the pass rush to be able to do more in the pass rush if you had a guy that's a true nose by Kim. But I think you're going to way overpay what you're going to get. And, I, you know, that's kind of been uh, Don Terry Poe's whole career, really, is overpaying for what you're getting. So I, I agree. I don't think it's a good idea to bring him. A guy I like a lot better is uh, Justin Ellis, a nose tackle. Not a pass rusher. Actually has zero sacks on his career. But he's a gap swallower in the running game. He's a guy that demands a double team. Uh, and this would free up Casey and whoever we have on our defensive end up a lot to do whatever they want to. If you have a guy like Ellis that is a true gap swallower, a true nose tackle, you have to get him on the double team. So when you send the blitz, those are two guys that you don't have to worry about when you have a guy like Justin Ellis in there. And unlike Don Terry Poe, I think Ellis is going to be a little pricey, but I don't think he's going to be nearly as expensive because he's not quite as big of a name. But he's a guy I think that can be, he's not going to be disruptive on his own, but he's going to help out everybody else in that defensive line. Everybody else that's going to come in on the pass rush is going to have a much easier road because it's two guys that you don't have to worry about just for having Justin Ellis on the field. Yeah, and, you know, with our first-round pick being on the back end of 25, uh, well, back end of the first round at 25, um, from this group, of the defensive line slash edge, that's probably going to be where our first round pick goes to. Um, statistically, back end of the first round, outside linebackers, um, defensive ends, they go the back end of the first round. Uh, you got TJ Watt last year, Tack McKinley. Um, there's a couple other ones as well. Um, all went within like 23 to 32. Um, we're going more than likely. We're going to have either a defensive tackle or a DE outside linebacker taken in the first round. So, I mean, you could even see none of this come to fruition. For all we know, it, like the basic thing with free agency is it sheds the biggest light on what you're going to do in the draft. So if you see us make no movement for uh, an edge or a DT, if you see us don't bring anybody that you would deem a starter, then, you know, you could pretty much solid that up that we're going outside linebacker or we're going V to V at defensive tackle if he falls. So um, it's it's all – Free agency is going to have the best gauge on where we're going in the first round. And I think the biggest impact is going to come from this group, the defensive line and edges. Oh, yeah. Tyler's definitely right about that when it comes to the draft. Talking about Don Terry Poe, according to SportsTrack.com, this is from them, not me. He His market value is $5.7 million a year. And if you look at it, according to them also, we're paying Sylvester William $5.5 million a year. So I, I feel like Don Terry Poe, if we can get him on that five point seven a year, it's worth that extra $200,000. Uh, I, I value him a lot more than that than I would Sylvester Williams. And uh, David Irving, I actually had him on my list too. I like how he's only 24 years old. Uh, he plays a very, very pivotal role in that uh, Dallas Cowboys defensive line. He's very important to them. And I don't think they keep both him and David Irving. I think uh, one has to go. 
I feel like they will not let David Irving leave if he tries to. I feel like they will probably franchise him because it's a much more uh, premium position, so they'll put that tag on him. And then if they can, they will match the offer to keep David Irving. But if they can't, I feel like he'll be the one who walks instead of David Irving. Um, or, I'm sorry, uh, Demarcus Lawrence. I'm sorry, I was calling them both David Lawrence. Uh, uh, David Irving, but Demarcus Lawrence. I feel like they'll franchise him before they would uh, before they would let him walk, and they would let David Irving walk before they would Demarcus Lawrence. Um, another guy that I had on my list was I, I can never pronounce his name correctly. Star Lot Louis Lot Luau. How, how do you say that name? Do you either one of y'all know? I believe it's Lot Lot isn't it? I've never been able to pronounce that. But anyways, he was a first-round pick, and he's not a pass rusher. He's a run stopper, and he actually got outplayed by a guy who was drafted to his team in the third round, which was Quan Short. So I feel like they're going to let uh, him him walk. And if we could get him for cheap, I wouldn't uh, throw the bank at him or nothing, but if we could get him for cheap, he would be a good guy to plug in on our, along our defensive line and give us some solid play as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point with Lawrence and the – uh, franchise tag. I mean, it's definitely a possibility for sure when you're talking about a guy that's that high. Um, and you're you're absolutely right. They're going to try to keep David or try to keep him over David Irving. And, and, and Tyler's point uh, to what he said as well is you could see us go with nobody. This is going to be a deep edge rush class. Uh, you know that's what everybody's saying. That's what it's looking like. So even though we have a later pick, you could see us go after no one here. Um, but you know, we named some names of some guys that I think could be really good on this uh, on on this defense, especially you know switching to a multiple front, showing them more. There's a lot of guys that are athletes in here. Versatility is obviously going to be a big deal. But if you got to get a guy that can be disruptive, uh, you have to go after him. Uh, you know, you have to get guys that can be disruptive. That was one of our biggest problems last year. We just weren't as disruptive especially early on in the season, as we needed to be to be successful. Uh, real quick, I wanted to talk about some inside linebackers that might be interesting. Obviously, Avery Williamson up for a payday. So this might be a position they might look to upgrade or, or uh, go in a different direction. So I got one of each. One guy that's going to be an upgrade, uh, but you're going to probably pay for it. And one guy that's not going to be as expensive, but might be just as good. Uh, Navarro Bowman's the first one. He's 30 years old. Everybody's familiar with this guy's name. He, he's been a high, you know, he's been a, an all-pro caliber uh, inside linebacker for quite some time. He's getting a little older, but he's a great inside linebacker. You could definitely feel his impact on that Raiders team the moment that he arrived. Their production was a lot better. And in the middle of the season, I believe it was mid-October when he got there, their production went up. They were a much better defense with him there. He'd be an immediate upgrade. Now, even though he's 30, you're going to pay for that. To get Navarro Bowman, uh, it's going to be a, a pricey deal most likely. Uh, the next guy, Demario Davis. He's had a really bad career up until this past season. And on that Jets squad, he's a guy that had a really good season. Davis, uh, this is a guy that you're going to have to sign to that one-year prove-it deal because he doesn't have... He doesn't prove the year after year you can do this. Actually, he looked like a big bust until this year. But he had a really, really good season. Sign him to a one-year prove-it deal. He won't be that expensive. And his potential is through the roof. So, if you do move on, 
he, I think this is a guy that you could put in there, and uh, it could be end up being a great pickup for you. If not, he's not going to be that expensive. Do you guys have anybody at inside linebacker that you were looking at? From what I was looking at, there's realistically not anybody much better than Avery. I mean, nobody to nobody to more or less, you know, hamstring, so to speak, Avery Avery Williamson on another contract. Um, most of the linebackers that are going to be up, you know, barring any surprise cuts, they're all like Avery Williamson. I remember um, reading earlier that there was – it was John Bostwick, I think, um, for the Colts, about a year older than Avery, but he's about the same, good at run, terrible at pass. And then there was a uh, Broncos guy who – they basically said was exposed by the past all year long. Um, Bowman is aging, as you said, uh, and he's not far up from Avery. So I think what's going to happen is Avery's going to get another contract. But even though Avery's getting the other contract, I think we are taking a mid-round linebacker at some point, you know, if not second round. Like if somebody was to randomly drop like Malik Jefferson, which I highly doubt. But I think at some point we're taking another inside linebacker. And, you know, realistically we have to because of how old Wesley Woodyard is. Um, But as far as inside linebacker, I don't see us signing anybody unless it's a a camp body Um, because everybody else is either old or they're in the same boat that – Woodyard and Williamson are. Yeah, I agree with Tyler. When I look through that, look on down the list, Titans have really got two options. They either um, re-sign Avery Williamson or sign Nigel Bradham, or you spend a first-round pick at the position. And, and Tyler brought up Malik Jefferson. I feel like taking in the first round, that wouldn't be too big of a reach at the beginning of the year. They was considering him a top ten talent, but he plays everywhere. He's the uh, he's versatile. They use him on the outside as an edge rusher in coverage at middle linebacker. He's probably going to run in the four fives or four fours for the middle linebacker. That's insanely fast. Not to get too much into draft there, but uh, then you also got people like um, Rashawn Evans and uh, Roquan Smith and Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds. So there's not a lot to pick from, but I did write down a few names in free agency. Uh, these would be mostly depth guys, and that's Rameek Wilson, uh, John Timu, and Patrick on, on Wazor. All of them guys are 25 years old. Uh, Onswar, he, he's actually from Baltimore. He spent his an entire two-, three-year career there under Dean P. So there's a chance he could follow him to Tennessee. You just never know. Right, and I would agree with you guys that I do think it's likely we keep Avery Williamson, um, but I thought we'd throw out some guys uh, to talk about the possibility if we do not. Um, the next on our list, we're going to talk about one cornerback uh, because we wanted to bring it up because it's an interesting storyline, um, but you know, cornerback probably not a position that we're going to reach for someone, especially high-end talent. Might be some death, depth kind of pickups in free agency. But I doubt we go after any high-end kind of names. 
but one guy we wanted to talk about is Malcolm Butler from the Patriots. If you watched the Super Bowl, then you are familiar with the storyline that he did not get this start last night and uh, played special teams, which something that Malcolm Butler can't be happy about. Uh, so here's the question. like, Do we go after and try to steal another Patriot, especially another Patriot corner, and Malcolm Butler? Uh, how upset is he You know, after the Super Bowl? It's, it's hard to tell. You know, We don't know yet. Uh, but if he decides to leave, it'd be probably a decent price tag, but not terrible. And we get another guy that we know can play at corner, uh, and it would be an upgrade in our secondary. Uh, so what are your guys' thoughts on this? Well, he said after the game that uh, he felt like his team give up on him. Uh, that was all due to him being late to his hotel or something to do with that. But um, it would be a signing that I would be happy with. It would finally, 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 um, it would finally, I can't I can't find the word I was looking for, solidify our secondary. Uh, that's been our Achilles heel for years and years now, and it's been good. Our defense really carried us this year, and they've been better than they've been in a long time, but that would finally solidify them with Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan. Yes, they're aging, but one year at a time, they'll still be on the front end, solidify our second end, so... I think it would be a good get if we could get him for the right price. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, he he would be the second former Patriot winning Super Bowl cornerback on the team. And, you know, it, it would almost guarantee that we're slowly turning into Patriot South, the Patriots uh, of, the, of the southern United States. Um, but you know, after the the shenanigans that the Patriots pulled last night in the Super Bowl, it's the safest bet of the free agency. Malcolm Butler is not re-signing with them. He, you know, you can only fucking shit where you eat so many times before it starts to affect you. And remember, last year there was a whole thing in free agency last year whether they were going to trade him or not. So I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that's affected him too, and I'm sure this was the final nail in the coffin because last year they were floating around, yeah, we're going to trade him, we're going to trade Malcolm Butler, we're going to trade him, and then now turning around and benching him to play special teams, which, by the way, the Patriots got torched by a backup quarterback. Yeah, he, he okay, he performed well, but they got torched without uh, Malcolm Butler, who saved the Seahawks Super Bowl. Um, so I think if he comes in again, like, like Cody said, uh, it would just depend on the contract and I'm sure John Robinson would be able to work out something. And I think this is going to, this is number one on John Robinson's list right now, given the recent events. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And I think that it would be interesting to bring him in. Obviously an upgrade for us. And if he wants out that bad and you want to get on a team, that's a quality team that you have a chance, especially if you have a chance to play in the AFC against the team that you think did you wrong. I mean, I think that would be a bonus as well for Malcolm Butler. Uh, I don't think the price tag is going to be that unreasonable. And like you guys said, it would come down to that. It would really come down to what that price tag is going to look like. 
you know, but definitely a guy that would be an upgrade for us, and really it would help us out a lot wise as well. If you bring him in, then Dory would become your third guy, and you know you could move Logan Ryan into the slot permanently, which is where he does his best work. You do uh, Dory Jackson and Malcolm Butler on the edges. I mean, that would make your secondary phenomenal, and so much you could do so much moving around. It would really help us out a lot in the back end, but. Uh, the next group we're going to talk about here, guys, backup quarterbacks. Obviously an issue for us. We haven't had a good play from a backup quarterback in quite some time. Uh, and it seemed to be, used to be a staple for the Tennessee Titans to always have a solid backup. Uh, but, you know, now we're in the Matt Castle era and we keep losing games every time he has to come in and play for us. So we need to figure out something. Now there's a handful of guys out there in free agency that I think could be uh, an improvement for us. The first one is going to be A.J. McCarron. Uh, he's a great backup in Cincy. Uh, in some time this year that he got the start, he played very well. Would definitely be a big upgrade for us. But he probably wants and probably deserves to, to get in an area where he's going to be a starter. You know, going somewhere where he can be the guy. Uh, he's also registered, or sorry, uh, he's also a restricted free agent. So we would have to have, uh, since he would get the opportunity to meet our offer, I don't think they're. I don't think we're going to be able to match an offer from someone that wants him to be a starter. First off, so if that's the case, which it likely is, we're not going to be able to get him there. Uh, but if he does, if he doesn't draw the interest that I think he's going to, he would be a solid backup for us to go grab. Sam Bradford's another guy. Uh, you know, the price tag's a little hefty, and the injuries have been an issue, but obviously he's a very good player. He doesn't have the athletic ability of Marcus Mariota, but he has a similar in the passing game, where he's not known for his big arm, but he's ultra accurate in the short game. Uh, now, how realistic it is to get Sam Bradford, a guy that's likely still going to be a starter, you know, not very high. The next four on my list are more realistic, but not nearly as sexy. <laughs> Uh, Josh McCown, he's 39 years old, that's the big thing, he's, he's getting up there in years for sure, uh, but he had a fantastic season last year with almost no help on that offense, he was really the big reason why the Jets had as good of a season as they did, would be a huge upgrade, would be relatively cheap, however this is a band-aid, this isn't a true fix, you're probably only going to get one or two more seasons out of McCown at most, and you're going to have this issue again where you need to find another backup. Uh, but if you draft a guy late that you think that you can you know, polish into something, this would be a great pickup to go get McCown as your backup for a couple years or a year just so you can polish that next guy up so he can be a long-term backup for Marcus Mariota. Uh, Geno Smith's another guy. Injuries and the inability to really understand a playbook has hurt Smith. We've seen glimpses of him where he looks fantastic, uh, but those are just glimpses. He's going to be really cheap. But the question becomes, is it really truly an upgrade? Uh, the next two are guys that I think would be an upgrade, probably not popular picks. Matt Moore is the first one. He's probably been the best backup quarterback in the league for years now. He's 34, so longevity is going to be a big question. But he's a guy that would be an immediate upgrade. He's not going to be very expensive. He's a guy that is not going to take over games, but he can come in and finish off a game for you for sure. And the next one I know people are going to groan. Uh, and that's Ryan Fitzpatrick. We saw Fitzpatrick have a magic season, then a, a tragic season, hence the nicknames he earned. Uh, but last year with the Bucks as a backup, he looked pretty solid. 
you know, coming up for uh, Winston. He's a cheap upgrade. He's 35, though, so he's another guy that age is going to be a factor. Uh, but he's a guy that is going to come in for cheap. We know that, we, you know, obviously he's been in Tennessee before. We know that he can learn a playbook. Obviously a very intelligent guy. And I think he's also a guy that would be a, a big upgrade over Matt Castle uh, and probably just as uh, cheap. So what are your thoughts on those guys and who are some other guys maybe that you guys are looking at in free agency for a backup? Yeah, we all saw the Miami game, and that honestly, that was more atrocious watching Matt Castle play starting quarterback than Rubisky's play calling ever was. And, and you know, that was plain and simple, the only image that John Robinson needed to understand that Matt Castle, he's clearly not our answer. Um, you know, realistic, the only option that I could see could fit the system, you know, that would be kind of like Marcus would be Teddy Bridgewater, but there's a likely possibility that, you know, it's going to be a quarterback competition in Minnesota with Case and Teddy, um, you know, and his history of injury and major ACL. It's just a lot of question marks. Um, And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the only one that I see. quite literally. I only see one out of all these guys that would even partly make me feel comfortable, which in turn tells me it'll be the draft. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick, yeah, he was an interception machine at, at the the Jets, but he served very well in Jameis uh, in his absence in Tampa Bay this past year. Um, he's really the only real winning quarterback after Sam Bradford. Um, and, you know, this tells me that John Robinson, like I said, be looking to the draft. I doubt a trade's coming. It, even if you do take Fitzpatrick, you draft one also. Um, personally, I think we're looking at Mike White from Western Kentucky. But realistically, Everybody else on that list of the backup quarterback is a failed backup quarterback. Fitzpatrick's the only one that's really held ground. Even Matt Moore, you know, who's shown a little promise leading the Dolphins to the the playoffs the year before, he's just average. And, you know, he's not going to – he's a Matt Castle, but he can throw a little better. Um, so frankly, it's either Fitzpatrick or, or go to the draft, especially targeting that Mike White kid who played in the senior bowl. One thing I will say about Matt Moore, he's the most popular backup quarterback ever of all time. Uh, I also had Geno Smith on my list, given his athleticism, uh, do a lot of the same things Marcus can do, but still ball security and, and learning the playbook. That is a big issue for him. Another guy on my list is Tyler Bray from the Kansas City Chiefs, and I feel like they're probably going to retain him given they traded Alex Smith, but we haven't seen much from him. What we what we have seen has been pretty decent. He's 25 years old, takes care of the football. He's got some sneaky athleticism to him. He doesn't look he does he doesn't look all that fast when he's running with it, but he, he's a little bit slippery. Um, he he needs to make quicker anticipations given he's a backup. But like I said, he's only 25 years old. And he could turn into that long-term solution. Another guy, somebody that everybody's going to hate when I say it, 
and that's Mark Mark Sanchez. He's got some athleticism to him as well, but um, he definitely has to take care of the ball. But what he has shown is he's basically Blake Bortles with a different play style. As long as he's got a defense that can carry him, he can get you to the AFC Championship game. And the last guy on my list is someone who's currently on a roster but is going to get cut, and that is Mike Glennon. It only makes financial sense for them to cut him. They signed him to a big deal, but they also signed him to a deal that they could get out of anytime they wanted to. He's proven that he can win you a few games. Of course, he's not an athletic guy. He's not going to take off and run with it. But at six foot seven, he can see over everybody, or he may even be six foot eight. He can see over everybody and and make all the throws as long as he as long as he can fix his accuracy. And still, he's a young guy too, so he could turn into a long term backup answer. Right, and you bring up like a lot of guys, you know that definitely like Mike Glennon, especially if he becomes a free agent, would be a great pickup. You know, a guy that we know is going to be a solid backup. I think that we will go to the draft looking for somebody. But the thing is, is how early are you going to draft a quarterback? Are we going to try to make, uh, you know, the the take the risk of getting a quarterback late and hoping that they pan out? I mean, there's so many question marks with picking a backup quarterback in the draft because you don't know like how early of a pick are you going to spend are you willing to spend on them you know is it going to work out I think there's a handful of guys here that would make solid backups that are realistic uh you know there's a ton of guys out there and I'm sure that more guys will even come out even after we see like some teams shake up like you guys were talking about the situation in Kansas City and and other situations around the league where we're going to see some shake up some guys are going to lose their jobs and there's going to be plenty of opportunity, but it's definitely an area where we need an upgrade. Something needs to happen this season because Matt Castle definitely is not doing it for us for sure. The last one we're going to talk about, and we're just going to talk about it real quickly, is the kicker. Obviously, Suck Up is up for uh, free agency. Really the only reason here, because Suck Up's going to be relatively cheap, uh, but... Is there a chance to upgrade? And I think there is. I think there's a few guys out here that would be an upgrade. Um, Chris Boswell is the only restricted free agent on my list for the Steelers. Obviously a great player, but I bet the Steelers retain him. There's a lot of other guys, though, like Matt Bryant with the Falcons, Adam Vinatieri, even though he's like 150, Vinatieri's still a hell of a kicker. Uh, Caleb Sturgis with the Eagle. Uh, Chandler Chandler, uh, Catanzario with the Jets. Uh, Caro Santos with the Bears, Kai Forbath with the Vikings. All kickers I have rated about at or above uh, Ryan Suckup. You know, kickers never draw a huge contract, so that's not that much of a worry. But I think you could upgrade here. We were talking about it last week, and Cody, you kind of convinced me. Because at first I was just okay with bringing Suckup back, but, you know, the, the distance that he can kick, obviously, is his biggest issue. And then he's missed it two extra points each year in the last three years. I looked it up today, and I was, and that was one stat that really kind of caught my eye, is he has missed an extra point, at least two extra points in each of the last three years. He's a solid kicker, but he's about average in the NFL. It's, an up, it's a position we could upgrade, and if we want to compete, you know, those kicks become huge uh, late in game, so an area that would benefit us uh, to upgrade. How do you guys feel about this? I agree. Um, I think for the most part, what we're doing with suck up is he came in 
basically as a space filler for a crappy team. Let's be honest, we were crappy when he came in. And he came in and we retained him. And over the last year, we've been riding that streak inside of 50 um, that we were on. But we slowly began to regress as an offense, and we kept being not able to get inside the 50. So what we need to be looking for, it's not a priority, but if you can land it, then great. Um, We need to be looking for somebody who can hit it from 55, 57, 58, you know, for when drives like that stall. Personally, if if he wasn't such a dinosaur, I'd be much more for it with, like, Adam Venetary because he can still hit it. And, you know, he's just like suck-up. He can hit it inside a 50, like, automatic. Um, and I wouldn't be completely against bringing in Venetary because I know what he can do, like I said, because he's basically automatic inside the 50 as well. Um, personally, I'd go for Santos because he he's shown that he can hit those long kicks. And suck up, you really got to get it to about 51. It's a damn miracle that he was able to make that kick in uh, Kansas City. What was it 52 yards and, like, basically kicking a brick. So... If you're looking to hit it from 58, I don't even consider it with suck up, and we need somebody who can do that. Yeah, I miss the good old days back when we had Rob Baronis that was an automatic three points anytime time you cross the 45. Um, oh, and last week, or it was either last week or the week before was his birthday, so late belated birthday to him. But uh, two names that really stuck out to me that you mentioned, was one was Caleb Sturgis. Uh, the only reason he lost his job to the rookie, uh, Jake Elliott, who I said I liked last week coming out of the draft in the sixth round, but the only reason he lost that job is because of an injury. And uh, Matt Bryant, I also like Matt Bryant from the Falcons. He's a good kicker, and uh, he's been one of the kickers who's more have caught my eye than some of the rest in the league. Yeah, Matt Bryant's probably the one I like the most, to be honest. He's ultra accurate. He has a cannon for a leg. You, I saw a thing... I believe it, he was 9 for 10 from kicks beyond 50 yards last season, if I'm not mistaken. It was either 8 for eight for 10 or 9 for 10, which even still even 8 for 10 is fantastic. I mean, that is unbelievably good when you're kicking from distance and you're hitting them that often. The one problem, though, and if you're not familiar with kickers, it, it might not be obvious to you, a lot of these big-name kickers have one thing in common, and that's they kick in domes. And it will Matt Bryant want to come and play on a team that plays outdoors most of their games. And it's not like Tennessee's known to be, you know, a windy, crazy environment for kickers like Pittsburgh or Seattle is. Uh, But it is, you know, far different from kicking in a dome. It's a lot easier to kick in a dome. So will these guys, you know, kind of risk being these all-time great at the kicking position, um, you know, by shifting into a dome? or shifting away from a dome, is also going to be a factor for a lot of them. It's definitely something that kickers take into mind uh, when they, they pick where they want to go next. Is you know Can I kick in a dome where I never have to face any wind? Is that something I can do? That's what is so impressive with Chris Boswell is anybody who's ever been to that stadium in Pittsburgh, it's right on the water, right on the river. It is windy every game <laughs> in that stadium, and he still is a heck of a kicker. Uh, so obviously... 
uh, pretty impressive what he's been able to do given his environment in most of his games. Um, but also, I wouldn't be mad if we kept suck up. You know, he's been a solid kicker for us. Uh, so, I mean, it wouldn't bother me. And obviously, uh, uh, like Cody said, definitely missed those days with Rob Baronis. Even before that, too, with El Del Greco, wasn't quite the kicker that Baronis was, but was still a hell of a kicker. Not something we've had to worry about very often as Titans fans is, uh, you know, who's our kicker and how good they are. But definitely a position that we can't afford to we have and kickers not drawing big contracts anyway. Um, but that's about all we have in free agency. Now, though, I was going to ask one question, guys, to wrap this up. Three, if you're the big three guys from any position, any position grouping, that you would want the Titans to go after in free agency, given what you think we're going to do in the draft um, and, and how much money we have to work with. If you had to pick three guys for Tennessee to go after in this free agency, who would you pick? Well, first for me would have to be Malcolm Butler. Um, you know, bringing him in would solidify our secondary. Uh, you know, bringing him in also would negate any automatic look towards Adoree Jackson. Because if you look at Adoree Jackson, his pro football focus rating was like an 83 for the year or something like that, which is actually really good, especially for a rookie. Um, if you get Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, and Adoree Jackson in a nickel package, which is three wide receiver sets are run mostly in the NFL now, if you get those three on the field, you know, Big Ben, Brady, if Big Ben comes back, Tom Brady, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All those quarterbacks, they're not going to, you know, already know who they're going to throw it to pre-snap. So they're actually going to have to work versus us for once. Um, So Malcolm Butler would definitely be priority number one. Priority number two, and we haven't talked about this group today, Trey Burton. Trey Burton, the tight end from Philadelphia. Uh, you know, he's set to become free agent. He would be great. His only downside is he's overshadowed by Zach Ertz. Uh, he's extremely athletic, you know, makes him a real good receiving threat. And obviously he can block because the Eagles were running all over the Patriots last night. Um, we all know we drafted John U, but John U got hurt. So, you know, that, that remains to still be in the spectacle there. Um, Trey could become Delaney's workout partner and basically become the Frank and Aaron of our time, Frank, Whitecheck, and Aaron Kinney. Um, at the very least, I'd feel much better about our tight end rotation if it were Walker, Burton, and Smith, as opposed to Supernaw involved anywhere in that mess. Um, and my third would have to be... Um, Trey Boston, a safety. Um, Denoris Searcy, I think he's scheduled to, I think his contract's running up. I don't think he'll be back with us. Um, and Denoris was our coverage safety. Uh, you know, if, if, if you can call Denoris that. Uh, Cyprian, he's he's still going to earn his money, basically being our linebacker in the secondary, which actually falls good into Boston's play. Um, 
Trey Boston has missed tackles from time to time, but he is extremely excellent in pass coverage, which Cyprian lacks. So you're throwing out one Denoris Searcy, and then you're bringing in a, a better Denoris Searcy, basically. So I've got a cornerback in Malcolm Butler at one. I've got a tight end, Trey Burton at two. And then three, I've got a strong safety in Trey Boston replacing Denoris Searcy. I like that. Uh, me, barring in mind about our salary cap, about what this draft class looks like and how our roster looks, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get the steal of the free agency class, and I'm going to sign Bryce Butler, uh, six foot three, four three speed wide receiver. And then next, after that, I'm going to take Jeremiah, Jeremiah Atachu, the edge rusher. Now, he, he's not going to be overly expensive, but he's not going to be cheap either. But he is young, and he can um, he's mostly what he's going to be, but he can learn some more tricks of the trade there in behind Brian Arakbo and Derek Morgan while also playing a key piece on our defense. And lastly, I'm going with um, with um, Bryce, uh, <laughs> Malcolm Butler as well. I keep wanting to say uh, uh, Bryce Butler and Malcolm Butler together, but I'm going to take Malcolm Butler as well. And I will say this, I wouldn't mind paying him that $8 million that we cut Jason McCourty over because he wouldn't come off of it. I think he's good enough that we can pay him that $8 million. And just like Tyler said, with uh, Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, and Adoree Jackson all on the field, it's going to be hard to throw against us. Also, you got Kevin Bayard behind that who's liable to intercept any ball you throw his way. And um, the Patriots have already proven you can win a Super Bowl with Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan starting in your secondary. Yeah, and I'm I'm all for giving that eight million, like you said, of of Jason McCourty's to him because here's the big difference. Uh, Ma- Malcolm Butler has won a Super Bowl, literally won a Super Bowl himself on the one yard line. Jason McCourty hasn't even made the playoffs. Wait, I think he did one year. Was he on the team in 2008? I can't remember. I don't think so. I think he was in the 2009 no. draft class. Then he hasn't made the playoffs. He hasn't made the playoffs. I couldn't remember if he was on the team in 2008 or not. Yeah, so I think those that's, are, yeah. Yeah, I think those are both uh, really solid lists. Um, to start off, I went with Malcolm Butler, too, as well as mine. And I'd like to get him like, cheaper than that $8 million contract, but I'd be all right with us giving that to him. He has been a very solid corner. Uh, but I'd like to get him a little bit cheaper than that, especially because I do want to go after one big ticket guy, and that's going to be Andrew Norwell, uh, Norwell, guard from the Panthers. I think you bring him in. Uh, you're probably going to start him at the left and move uh, Spain to the right. I think Spain would be uh, just fine in that position. I think that they're both better on the left side, but I think that uh, both would be very adequate on the right. I, I think immediately you have the best offensive line in the league. Uh, if you do that. But also with Malcolm Butler uh, bringing him in, you have to consider as well, next year we're going to see Andrew Luck again. We're going to see Deshaun Watson again. We probably won't see Blake Bortles. They'll probably upgrade at their quarterback position there. So it's going to be a lot tougher in our division to defend against the pass when you get a lot better passers back next year. It's not going to be facing Tom Savage and whoever Lux's backup is at the time in Blake Bortles every year, you're go- it's going to be a better 
crop of quarterbacks. So it definitely an upgrade at the secondary. Um, you know, is very defensible. My next one is a guy that's going to be a little pricey, but not bad, uh, and that's going to be Justin Ellis at nose tackle. Because I do think the best way to improve our pass rush is through the draft. I think it's going to be a deep draft. I think there's going to be a lot of guys that can help us out. So getting a guy that can play that true nose tackle position, um, you know, I'm not sold on Austin Johnson at the nose tackle position. Ellis is a guy that can come in and immediately make an impact that frees Jarrell Casey up and it frees whoever's going to play on the opposite side of him, likely a rookie. And then you can do so much more. When you have a guy that's going to be that gap swallower that demands a double team, it allows you to do so much more with the back half, especially a guy, too, that is disruptive in the running game. Obviously, he's not a guy that's disruptive in the passing game, um, but Ellis is a guy that can dominate in the running game. That makes the linebacker's job easier. And then you can start to move away from these linebackers that are just built to shut down the run and you can get linebackers that are better in coverage when you have a guy like that Wesley Woodyard and Avery Williamson were a necessity for us because we've not we haven't for a long time had a true nose tackle that can swallow the inside of the line that's why you have to have linebackers that are great against the run it's because we don't have that guy if we you know get rid of Sylvester Williams and get a guy like Ellis, I think it would be an immediate upgrade. I think it would really help out our team and really expand our playbook uh, a lot. So that would be my three. But I think you guys came up with great lists as well. Uh, that's about all the show that we have. I want to thank uh, Cody and uh, and Tyler for coming on the show with me today. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys. A lot of fun talking about free agency. Hey, before we get out of here... I got one question for Tyler. Yes. I'm going to ask you what Ryan asked me last week. Are you willing to go on the record and declare the Tennessee Titans 2019 Super Bowl champions? Yeah. Yeah, I will. I'll go on the record. <laughs> Maybe he's a bigger fan than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cody I'll go on the record. Right, I'll go so... on the record. I won't go so far as to get a friggin' tattoo. But, oh, that yeah. was my next question. Are you going to get the, the tattoo <laughs> no, on the forearm? No, Come on, I ain't Tyler. doing that. No, <laughs> no because, because transitioning from a 2019 to 2020 is a little bit harder. <laughs> a little bit harder to make on a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, well, in all fairness, true. I told him I'd love to, but I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so you heard it here first. Tyler Mustin's gonna get a tattoo soon um, for the, the championship. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. But thanks, guys, a lot for coming on. I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Hopefully, we can get you both on back on the show here soon. I, I plan to do a lot of draft stuff with you guys because I know you both uh, very involved with the NFL draft. Both like uh, covering it a lot, so definitely gonna have you on for those. Um, so thanks a lot, Cody Milholan. You can find his writings everywhere. Uh, Cody, exactly where, if someone wants to see your stuff, where do they have to go to do it? You can check it out on teentruth.com. That's T-E-N-N truth.com. Or you can download the fan sided app. Just follow the Tennessee Titans, and you can find it there. It'll automatically pop up on your news feed when you follow the Titans. Awesome. And Cody writes some great stuff. Uh, Tyler... At least get Tyler's Twitter name out there because he is worth to follow. Just watching him berate players from teams that we hate is, <laughs> is the most fun you can have on Twitter. 
uh, Twitter name is uh, Twitter slash Broken Arrow, and it's spelled B R capital O K A N underscore capital A R R capital O H. Yeah, it's a bit long, but it basically spells Broken Arrow. So if you if you think you've you've got Broken Arrow, if it looks a little goofy, that that's probably right. It's uh, as long as long as you see me, all you gotta do is look through the tweets, and then if you see trash talking Zach Brown and Zach Brown crying like a little bitch, that's that's the profile you look for. <laughs> you then you found the right profile for sure. Uh, yep. Yeah. Again, thanks guys for coming on. For everybody listening, obviously you can follow me at the Ryan Moreland on Twitter. Follow the show at TTU Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find us on uh, com. That's where you can find the coach tracker, uh, the schedule for next season, a bunch of stuff on there, so go check it out, as well as, well as every show we've ever recorded. Um, I believe this is episode 84, 85, or something like that, so a, a big library to go back and listen to. Thanks, everybody, who makes the show possible. Guys like Tyler, who work in the background here. Uh, you know, I have a guy that's working all of our uh, our website and all that stuff, so thanks a lot to him. And thanks all of you, the listeners that make this show possible and make it fun to do week in and week out. Uh, that's all we have for the show this week. As always, tighten the fuck up. <laughs>